0: Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the UticaCast, episode 163, and we are back once again with another excellent interview this week. It is Professor Luke Perry, Professor of Government at Utica College, also the founder of the Utica Center for Public Affairs. We have a nice conversation about the upcoming midterm elections and his new book, Religious Responses to Marriage Equality. Uh, Also this week, uh, Heather and Kevin are back. I'm not alone with Justin Parkinson. Thank God talk about lebron james talk about utica monopoly news of the week uh we're going to talk a little bit about tom cruise movies uh a few wild news stories and then we're going to answer some mailbag questions from other podcasts and media all that and more this week on the Uticacast we are happy as always to have you here oh yes It's earlier in the day than normal and you're already tired. No, that...
1: it's called having a kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> welcome back. We're back, folks. Welcome back to the show, the Udicast, episode 163. Uh, I am your host, Sam Familaro, joined as always. Heather Wise, what's hey, up, Heather?
1: Hi. <laughs> it's been like two weeks since I've seen you. I know, you guys. I was going to get like into it's that. It's been forever.
0: I was going to get into that. Kev, welcome back. Uh, hello. I'm very happy to have you guys back after my sojourn in the studio with Maiden Utica's Justin Parkinson last week. Uh, thanks for, for stepping in and helping out. I appreciate it, Justin, but it's, uh, it's not the same. It's not my two pals. It's Why GK. would he do? Nothing. It's just not the same. I don't have my, uh, my, my squad here with me. Huh. We're a
1: squad. I'm in a squad. Yeah, mm.
0: squad goals. I'm in a squad. You guys want to start out really quickly with some some science here? I saw, I saw an article today. It's like 90 degrees out in the studio. It doesn't feel like it is much right now, but it will once the humidity <laughs> drops. Uh, this is from Telegraph, and uh, the research comes from New Delhi. You ready to hear about this? Uh, VM Sharma and colleagues at Geotechnical Consultancy in New Delhi uh, have asked participants to ask uh, take bouts of exercise and then perform tests of mental alertness, associative learning, and problem solving in temperatures varying in terms of, like, high temperatures and low temperatures. And according to the science people's performances dipped across all the boards in high temperatures, especially as the humidity rose. See, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Real obvious, <laughs> real <laughs> obvious science. Uh, so we'll do our best to try and keep our mental alertness and our associative learning as high as possible uh, here in these in this heat wave. And as always. I-, I won't. As <laughs> always. And we hope that you, too, as well, the listeners do, as well. Uh, Heather, how did you enjoy your week off? That I, I, I told you not to come in the week. It was last okay.
1: Week? It wasn't a great week for me. Well, what's the matter?
0: What's wrong with your mind? I, um...
1: Have anxiety and I haven't had an attack in three years. And I had one for
2: five days, it was horrible. Oh, that Did sounds like fun!
1: <laughs> I, was, right, I went to the hospital, I was like, Jeez. I'm dying. Did you have a panic attack, yeah, I, I get them, I have them really bad. But is
2: it like five day non stop or is it like five days, days of It was just
1: jittery and kept, and kept coming and coming and coming. I was like, What's going on? I haven't had this. Ne- Three years.
0: Do yeah. you do you know what the onset of it was? Like what brought it up? Or no, is that really
1: not... no? It happened after my car accident, so I just get them. But I was medicated for like ten years, hmm. and I was off for three, and I was like, I got this, I got this, and then just hit hard. Hmm. I was like, yeah. It
0: comes out of nowhere when in the past when yeah, it's happened to so me. Yeah, so
1: that was my that was my week last week, but I'm moving over that. Hump I'm now. sorry.
0: I'm sorry. I feel bad <laughs> I'm for good. you. Don't feel bad. It's good. Uh Kev, you were also not here last week. You were in Boston. It's,
1: yeah, yours are more exciting. It's
0: though.
2: true. <laughs> yeah, so how was your trip to Boston? Did you enjoy yourself? My trip to Boston was great. Um I went to see Radiohead twice. Uh they played 46 songs over two nights. Um, it was amazing. Uh excellent, excellent concerts. Um, Boston itself is a city, I gotta tell you, I hear a lot about it. It was the first time I've spent a little bit of extended time all over Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was listen, it was fine. Like it was really nice. It was a nice city. There were a lot of fun things, but I feel like Boston is a touch overrated. First of all, it's a mess. You can't get anywhere. Yeah, I've heard that. All the streets. It's like it's like they made an entire city out of just like back alleys and freeways. <laughs> That's
3: such a great thing. And way it's to just like
2: Boston. and everything's all smashed together and nothing makes an ounce of sense. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Any good food? A lot of great food. Yeah. I had a lot of good food. I tried uh, I tried a lobster roll for the very first time Yeah, yeah, yeah. what'd you think? Oh. Gotta tell ya. Not a good for uh, It was alright. It was no better than, like, a turkey sandwich. And I got uh, from, like, some <laughs> highly rated, like, right on the, you know, right on the coast, right next to the ocean place. And it was good. I'm not a huge, like, seafood and shellfish guy anyway. I would've rather had, uh, like, crab cakes. If Angela,
0: my mom, was on Twitter, she would... Quote, retweet your tweet right there, and just be like, fake news. <laughs> I, no, my mom loves a lobster roll more than almost anything on this planet. When we went to Maine last summer, yeah. we went to about 12 different places that all had, like, you know, clams, and, and she got lobster roll every single place. She was so excited.
2: Well, so the first lobster roll I had at this place called Atlantic Lobster in South Boston, yeah, yeah. Um, it you know, I had a bite of it, and I didn't get the whole lobster roll because I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but I had a bite of somebody else's, and... It was just like cold lobster with a little bit of what mm-hmm. appeared to be mayonnaise mm-hmm. in the thing. Yep. And it was, only, it was okay, but then the, a couple of days later I had one where it was like lobster with like mayo and they put like celery and onion and sort of made the like a lobster salad. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I like that with stuff in it, but the lobster alone is not enough. I'm a big chowder guy when I go to these fast food A lot of places. good chowder. I like
0: a good chowder. A lot of good chowder um well very nice i'm happy to have you both back uh so this week there is sort of a kind of a mix of stuff i wanted to talk about plus things from last week that i sort of wanted to talk about with you guys as well so sort of a mix up of different things this week uh also just want to before i get into my spiel i want to thank luke perry for joining us this week he's the professor of government at utica college he's going to be our interview had a really nice time talking to him uh he has a new book out which I didn't know was uh, going on until after I had already invited him, so that was like a nice bonus.
2: Deep research. Deep research. <laughs> well,
0: he's got a lot of books, and he's working on another one. He writes all sorts of stuff, but uh, it's pretty cool. His new book, Religious Responses to Marriage Equality. Very cool. Um, interesting stuff. Had a nice conversation with him. And uh, just to get through a couple things real quick, I'm going to update a few things uh, and also create a new segment called Stuff Sam Watched, okay? Because there's a few things I just want to blow through really quickly. One, For anyone who's down at Handshake City at all this week down at the site over on uh, Westboro Street there, I think is is what it's called. What is it? No, what is it? Uh, Division Street. That's what I'm thinking of. Division Street. Either way.
2: Unfortunately named. Division? I like Division Street. Division Street's a great name, but not for like this, yeah, we've got this great community project trying to bring everybody together and join hands across the city and raise it up. Yeah, it's on Division Street. (laughs) It just seems like it's like the opposite. It's, on
0: a, it's a Thursday song, though. That's all I ever think about. That's true. Lights Out on Division Street. That's all I feel comfortable singing here. <laughs> I would like to hear some more yeah. of that. Yeah. Like to hear some <laughs> yeah, well. I don't remember any more lyrics, I would, I to be I honest. Pause. Let's go. No, no, it's all right. Uh, no, but for all the folks who have been down there helping out, it's been really nice down there. I'm definitely sunburned for my three hours out there in the sun yesterday. I didn't realize how hot it was. Uh, but again, folks, handshake.city slash donate. Check it out. Stop by, say hello to us when we're down there. Mm-hmm. Justin's there all the time. Uh, Kevin and I watched a movie. Did we? We watched a movie that was uh, sort of past its prime, but uh, it was the movie Justice League. Oh yeah, we did. That was <laughs> awful. <laughs> that's like Batman and oh. Superman and all. It's no. like the. Don't even turn the wheel. It was very bad. I got it then. So that's our official
2: Uticast review of Justice League on HBO. Uh, very poor. As are all the DC universe movies. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of them, every single one.
1: My husband maybe watched like a Thor, a new Thor one the other day, which
2: was day. funny. Well,
1: it was funny. Yeah, yeah. good. But it, wasn't, it wasn't too Ragnarok. bad. And no, no, in, okay.
2: Thor Ragnarok was
0: great. Okay. I'm with you on that. Okay. Do you have a crush on that Chris no. Hemsworth? My no. sisters both do. They think he's the finest. No. They think he's better than Chris Pratt and Chris Pine and all the other Chris's. He's the number one Chris. All the celebrities I was told. My mom backs that up as well. Right. Uh, the other movie I watched this week was Die Hard, which I don't need to review. It's excellent. Go watch Die Hard. It was <laughs> yes. good. Uh,
2: I finished Succession, which ended last I night. Knew you I were just started end watching
1: up- that on HBO. Right? <laughs> yes.
2: I was just gonna say I knew you were gonna end up watching Die Hard because every day when you were flipping through movies, like two <laughs> or three days, you're like, oh, ha, ha, Die Hard, huh? That's not so bad. Die Hard. I'm like, I've been common. thinking about it. I've it's coming. Then I came home yesterday from work, and okay. lo and behold. There's like 20 minutes left in Die Hard. Do, it's the best part. Of you Die Hard. and Good Friend of the Pod, Steve, we're here enraptured by John McClane's antics. Steve, it's a
0: great movie. John McClane is a great action hero. You know why? I'm gonna, I didn't mean to get off into a tangent, and we'll talk about Succession <laughs> no, in a second. Okay. Um What I like about John McClane in this movie is, that, like, in a lot of action movies, like the movies with The Rock and stuff, right, mm-hmm. a lot of times he seems, like, super well-to-do. He knows all the stuff already. He's, like, a professional already, right? McLean in the movie just seems like a regular guy. He's like talking to himself, like, "Eh, hey, think, man, what do I do?" I mean, he's like a lot of like, he doesn't totally see him up for the challenge, which really makes the movie that much more interesting, right? He's just a regular type guy, which you don't see as much in these action movies. It's always like uh,
1: he gets hurt and stuff. Yeah, he, like, he gets beat really up. Like you're like, is he gonna make it? Yeah, he's got to walk <laughs>
0: across the glass. He's got the no shoes. A lot of stuff that I think about the movie. Real nice. Good. It's a good movie. Die Hard quality flick. <laughs> got it. Um, also, I finished Succession. Uh, you started watching it. You said episode three wait till the end of episode 4 you're gonna text me and you're gonna be this show is awesome if you can get to episode 4 I think it's
1: great so far I'm interested
0: if you can get to the end of episode 4 on Succession listeners I I suggest you do it on HBO it's definitely worth it I just finished the season it's very good I very much enjoyed it excellent stuff good show Uh, and then last but not least uh, I watched the trailer for the new Godzilla movie I'm a well known Godzilla mark I won't get into it but if anyone wants to watch the trailer it's out there send me your thoughts on Twitter I thought it looked pretty cool that's it (laughs) Um, I want to share a story with you guys. I'm going to get away with this. uh, And we're going to get into our news this week. But I read more about this. Um, Do you, Heather, do you know what the term redshirting means Mm -mm. in college sports?
4: Um.
0: Uh, In college sports, what it generally means is, like, players will get hurt or they'll uh, they'll redshirt a season and they'll sit out because they have an extra year of eligibility, Mm -hmm. right? And this tends to happen in, like, college primarily. Um, I found out this week, and I can't get too far into this, about... A particular student somewhere who's a really top-level student. He's in, let's call it, seventh grade, eighth grade, right? He's an excellent student in all his courses. Top, like, levels, top grades. Also happens to be an excellent, like, athlete in a particular sport, right? And these parents have decided they are going to hold this kid back an extra year to play sports, even though he's already aced out all of his courses. (laughs) And this really got, like, under my skin last week. Like, it was bothering me. I was like, I don't know. Something about it seems, like, very...
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: (laughs) <laughs>
0: like, like, I'm not one to question, like, what parents want to do with their kids and, like, what kids want to do. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about this person. I just happened to hear the story. And I, I looked up a little bit about it, and apparently this is something that's happening more and more over the last, like, 10 oh years my, with, gosh. like, middle school kids as opposed to college-level kids. So they're holding
1: kids back in middle school. Holding the another... kids
0: back to the yeah. idea of, like, being good at sports. It's, like, rec- it's called reclassifying. Nothing
1: like adding pressure on people's life.
0: Well, I, what bothered me about it is like this, right? If you're a college athlete, right? And you know that you're probably good enough to play in the pros, right? If you're at the college level, you're right there in the cusp. You probably have an idea. There's a million like middle school kids who are good at sports who do not pan out. It happens all the time. It just seems really irresponsible for a parent to be like, I'm going to make this decision based on like a hunch. Like, what do you do with a kid who's like already aced out an entire uh, like year's w- worth of stuff and just have him do the year again? What happens to that kid, right? Like, what do they do? Just nothing? The same thing over and over again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seems very uh, dissatisfying It's horrible. It's I don't know. It just bothered me. Uh, there's a good article I read about it called The Hard <coughs> Truth About Holding Kids Back. Uh, so you can find that uh, on the internet if you want to go look for it. Uh, speaking of education, though, did you guys see anything about LeBron James and what he did when he opened a public elementary school? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Kev, you watch a lot of the NBA, so I'm going to sort of frame this portion of the question for you, right? Like, mm-hmm. um... The NBA gets this... Is it an
2: elementary school? I thought it was It's a, a public school. Did I say public. elementary school? It's just yeah, I a public it like school. it like, more like a high school kind yeah.
0: of thing. I'll, uh, I'll pull... I have the page up right here. Let me see what it says. It says... It just says public school. So, public elementary school and grads can attend college for free.
2: Oh, okay. That's what it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um... And I'll get into some of the list of the cool stuff that's going on with it, but sure. we always talk about like the NBA sort of being like a little bit ahead of the curve with like the way the social media and the way the players are allowed to sort of be themselves mm-hmm. as opposed to other leagues. How much of that do you think is the fact that LeBron James just happens to be this type of person and also
2: happens to be like the most important like player in the NBA? How much of how much of what? Them being ahead of the curve? Yeah. Has to do with LeBron? Yeah. No, I think I think them being ahead of the curve is is a league wide thing, you know, because Lebron's Lebron's an old man in the league now. You know what I mean? I think that's even more on the forefront with the younger players. Um, but with something like this, I think it's awesome to see. Like as a guy who now has Lebron on his team, and I've always been there, I've always been a critic of certain things about Lebron, but he's pretty undeniable as being a good guy, and it's. You know, it's it's amazing to see somebody like LeBron James realize like, hey, nobody's gonna like nobody's gonna do anything for these kids. You know, the government's mm-hmm. not gonna do anything for these kids, the Congress people aren't gonna do anything for these kids. I've got all these resources, let me go out and do something for these kids and pay it back. You know, somebody who came from a drug addicted mother and like not knowing his father and moved around a lot when he was a kid to like come back and know what those people are going through. I think he's uniquely qualified. And this move, more than anything else, makes me more and more interested to see what he's going to do after his playing career, mm-hmm. as his money only continues to grow, his business acumen only continues to grow, but he has less time taken up, you know, playing basketball and going to the gym every single day. It's going to be really interesting, you know, because this guy's probably going to live another 50 years, you know what yeah. I mean? At least. So, I think it's great. Yeah, I think
0: it's really cool. Um, you know, and again, I think that, like... I- I've always talked about in the past, like being a guy who like, as a guy who watches the NBA and watches basketball, I I always root against him as a player because he's always on teams that are good that I don't like, right? Mm. Uh, But like, it's hard to deny that like, as a person, he's like very responsible and well spoken and smart and has really interesting thoughts and concepts about like Mm. education in the future. And I like it. I like what he's got to say. Uh, so, this is just a list of some of the things. Did you read any of this list at yes. all? But it's pretty cool, right? Free bike and helmet for all kids to get through neighborhoods. Uh, free breakfast, lunch, snacks throughout the day uh, for uniforms. They also will have each school, will ha- the school will have its own food bank for families and kids to use. Free college tuition to the University of Akron. Um, they're also going to have longer school days and shorter summer breaks, which is like, uh, I like it. I like it. Going in. <laughs> I don't like it for my summer vacation break as a teacher, but hey, that's all right. Why, are you going good- to teach there? Yo,
4: yo, <laughs> yo,
0: LeBron, LeBron. I would definitely go teach at this. I don't think I'd be qualified. I'm not that good of a teacher. I'm too snarky. I'm too much of a curmudgeon for LeBron's vision, I feel like. Uh, what else we got here? Well, we'll just move on from that for now, I suppose. The only other thing I guess is uh, it did lead to, and I don't want to get into politics too much this week because uh, our, our interview this week is very heavily uh, politics-leaning, uh, but did you see Donald Trump was tweeting about it? I
1: can't get the whole world
0: saw <laughs> it. Uh, I guess I kind of expected
2: it, right? I should have seen it coming. Like, uh, And then Le- he said he liked
0: Mike, Michael Jordan better than LeBron. It's a
2: shame on stuff like that. You know, It really is a shame that he gets the attention. Because even like, you know, though LeBron's doing this amazing thing, Donald Trump goes out and finds a way to make it a Trump story. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like 100% irrelevant. It's a shame that such a moron is somebody who commands so many eyes and ears because you know, his opinion is is no more relevant than, like, your crazy drunk uncle mm-hmm. yeah. that you see on Facebook, you know what I mean? And, yeah, and, like, you expect your crazy drunk uncle. And it's a shame, because, like, that. this is a great story, and, like, he's sort of taken the wind and refocused it away from where it should be. I thought the coolest thing to come out of this story was to see um, a lot of the players who don't necessarily have the means and the reach of LeBron, NBA players, but still going out and doing stuff. Um, I know Jerry and Grant, who I don't remember who he plays for now. Um, uh, I'd have to look it up. He got traded to somebody or something, but... He went out and, you know, he tweeted, he was like, hey, you know, I think it's I think he's in Oklahoma City. Um, he went out and he was like, hey, yeah, you know, that's that's amazing that LeBron opened a school. I can't afford to open a school, but I can't afford to get backpacks. He's like, everybody, you know, if you need backpacks, come down and get one, like at this time, at whatever place, whatever mm-hmm. city he plays in. Like mm-hmm. I said, I think it's OKC. And Orlando had, Magic. Orlando. And he had uh, backpacks full of school supplies for like, yep. underprivileged kids. You know, he's yeah. like, this is what I can do. And I hope, you know, in the face of, you know, criticism from, you know, the president, idiots like that for stuff like this, I hope that LeBron starts a wave of people doing is. all sorts of okay. stuff like this yeah. and speaking up mm. and banding together because all these NBA players have a lot of money and they've got yeah. a lot of pull and a lot of people listen to them and they've got a lot mm. of unique experience. I mean, you can really, I could envision a future five, 10 years down the road where there's a contingent of NBA players who are really socially conscious and engaged in government post playing just you know by nature of being influential yeah. folks with money and having this unique life experience um you know of coming up in you know dire circumstances a lot of times so mm. that'd be cool mm. uh and that's sort of
0: what i think i was trying to get at when i initially started talking about this because lebron is that guy right he's the forefront player he can sort of be that leader of the movement i don't know if i could see like a guy like jordan in his day doing something like this because i don't think this is the kind of guy jordan is i think LeBron is this person because that's who he is and they're lucky that, like... Yeah. Uh, Jordan's yeah. just, like, gambling and smoking yeah, Jordan, cigars. Yeah. And playing, and playing
1: golf at, like playing playing
2: golf at country clubs. <laughs> yeah. right. But that's
1: where our country has gone to now. Mm. You know what I mean? Now that our president isn't looking out for us, somebody is trying to look out. I feel like more well, people are trying mm. to look out for our country.
0: I hope it does sort of awaken the idea that, like, that a lot of mean. these, like, independently wealthy people can do things on their own yeah. and do something good. Yeah. All right, uh... I wanted to just check in on the Utica Monopoly, which we talked about.
1: Tell me, tell me. Yeah,
0: so I actually, uh, (laughs) earlier this week through my job, I happened to meet uh, Gina uh, Chacha, I think is the last name. I hope I said that right. Gina uh, works over Abraham House as the executive director, and she was uh, the person who was really forefront uh, on this project. So uh, maybe I'll get her to come talk about it more in depth sooner than later. She's a really nice lady, too. Uh, But uh, here's the breakdown of the pieces. Are you ready to hear some of the properties? All right, here's the blue pieces, the top pieces. What do you think they were? You guys want to guess? Oh, don't know. Uh, the Odd, uh, the Adirondack Bank Center. And then the Utica Comets are their own separate properties. Eww. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> gross. <laughs> uh, <Ooh>. green... <laughs> wow. <laughs> now she's never Ooh. coming. On. <laughs> Go on. Uh, green, uh, Bank of Utica, Adirondack Bank, and First Store. So all the banks are green, which I guess makes sense. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh Yellow is Utica College, uh, the Boilermaker, and the Utica Children's Museum. Red is the Utica Zoo. Uh, Munson Weems, Productor Art Institute and the Stanley, so sort of like the entertainment district, I suppose. Orange FX Matt Brewing, Celtic Harp, and Lukens seems <laughs> seems kind of Lukens.
2: I don't
1: want to buy Lukens. Is that up in like the higher priced one?
0: That's no, that's, that's Orange. No, we're moving. We're moving <laughs> down. We're going down. Uh, we're going down. Uh, pink is Delmonico's, uh, Esch's Aquavina Restaurant, and Danielle's Valley View. Uh,
1: oh.
0: Light blue is Oshkaneeds. Uh Kasa imports, you to go oh. you to go oh. coffee roasting. Oh. <laughs> you
1: just go back in a time capsule? Oh.
0: <laughs>
2: purple is shenatries. And Parkway drugs. I'm- yeah. The disrespect.
1: I am in Baltic <laughs> <The> Avenue.
2: Disrespect.
1: <laughs> I'm in Baltic Avenue.
2: <laughs> the comets are a blue place, but the is the same thing as Lucan's. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we are. Shinatry's. Okay.
1: Shenatries is nothing but Who goods. is this?
0: Uh, this you is the what? official... Ut- hey, listen, I didn't oh. come up with the board.
1: We, is there a name we need to talk to? She's know.
2: probably very nice, She's I support lady. the she Abraham is. House deeply. They're one of the most important institutions yes. in the city, and they do amazing work.
1: Luke but is this
2: so is so all entirely wrong.
1: is so random. I
2: think, I think what is surprising to me is I expected it
0: to be more if like landmark. Ta- if I'm Chris Talgo, I'm on right. the phone. I thought, like, the Parkway <laughs> would be on
1: Yeah, there. yeah, I think I expected
0: something different, Yeah, I
1: didn't expect... I didn't expect Lucans, for sure. Not the, No offense, I like Lucans, but...
0: Dude, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like you guys are psyched <laughs> about Lucans. The
1: trees. saw them on Baltic Avenue. I was hoping
0: that we were going to be Baltic Avenue. That Maiden Utica would have I mean,
2: been... More I, more know, I you know, I was thinking
1: get.
2: more Baltic Avenue. Uh, so, you, here are the pieces. We, we should have lobbied. I wanted Maiden Utica to be free parking. Uh, yeah, that would have been a good one. <laughs> uh, so, these are
0: the actual pieces themselves, if you want to know that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, fire it up. Yeah, Comet's mascot... Yeah, I can't o- B- believe it, the Comets. <laughs> uh, the Comet's mascot, <laughs> Audi... Uh, the Utica College mascot, tracks, a big supporter of tracks. It's a Utica thing food truck, so like a food truck thing. Okay, now. I
1: like that. Uh, a money bag,
0: mm-hmm. sponsored by M. Griffith Investment Services, so mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. A dog, sponsored by the Spahn Humane Society. Sponsored hey, by like is dog. where it starts to get interesting. And a library book, sponsored by Public Library. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I like
4: that
0: one. Uh, they're still looking for sponsors for three railroad properties. Mm-hmm. We can get it on the Utica Railroad if we wanted, I suppose. Uh, maybe we get a Kickstarter going. So there you go. I don't
1: even want to buy any of those places. <laughs> I don't.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. A lot of those places I'd love to buy. But yeah,
1: like. in the game.
0: All right, so uh, I'm just going to quick run through some news of the week. Uh, we're didn't. We're not we not going to get to it, really, but did you guys see that someone vandalized Betsy DeVos' uh, boat? Yes, they just, I, like, I they, saw they, that. that. was a couple weeks ago. They, we didn't talk about it. They, like, they let they, it like, loose in the it harbor. Yeah,
1: they like... Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't really want to talk about any of this. Do you want to talk about the president defending his son over the Russia meetings? No. No, move right past it. Absolutely not. Uh... Okay. Oh, do you guys want to talk about Steven Seagal? He got picked to... I heard this was
1: a round kick or something. Yeah,
0: he's been picked to improve uh, relations with the U.S. and Russia. He's... Oh, great. Yeah. Wait, wait.
1: Wait, what?
0: Okay, so uh, the Russian Foreign Ministry announced the appointment on their Facebook page of Steven Seagal's new unpaid gig, uh, promoting relations between Russia and the United States in the humanitarian field, including cooperation in culture, arts, and... Republican youth exchanges, karate kicks, backbreakers,
2: uh, flying chest I think one of the things that flies, that flies under the radar a little bit in this post-dystopian Nightmare <laughs> of the Nightmare um, is I, one of the things that flies under the radar is how stuck in the 80s yeah. the president and all I these know. people are. Like, you can really tell where they made their bones and made their opinions about the world because there's so much stuff that like Steven Seag- nobody even knows who Steven Seagal is oh. anymore. You know what I mean? Like It's just their... It's one of the things that comes up a lot that I think doesn't get enough plays. Mm-hmm. These people are absolutely stuck in, like, mm. 84 to 91. Like, no like, phone. they're they're cell phones
1: anymore. No internet.
2: <laughs> I used
0: to have a cell phone. It was huge. It was bigger than my head. It was massive, <laughs> although it looked very small in my giant hands. Um, all right, let's move on from Steven Seagal. I feel like I can't take any more. Oh, and just last, uh, did you guys see that there's a new Winnie the Pooh live-action movie called Christopher Robin that's out?
2: Mm. Does it make you unsettled? I look at the trailer. I don't know if I like it. It. Looks just, yeah. eh. i got one big problem with the trailer sure i don't think that i get what they're doing with the, these like all faded real- life stuffed animals um the coloring is not distinctive enough on tigger and he looks yellow hmm. and it's weird yellow tigger it's the only thing that pulls you away a little bit I from see. what they were doing it's i mean that's a nitpick i don't know a thing about the movie i, I doubt that it. i'll actually see it but that's hmm. Something I noticed in the trailer. Uh, speaking of people who also will not see it, anyone in China
0: where well, the movie has been banned, uh, much like anything that includes Winnie the Pooh for more than a year, uh, because the nation's leader, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, gets annoyed... He looks just like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he gets annoyed when people compare him to Winnie the Pooh. It's not uh, even,
2: he got annoyed by an internet meme. An internet meme comparing him to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, it was him and Obama walking, and they put uh, it next to a picture of Pooh and Tigger, and he was upset. <laughs> I and now, that. I'm look that up. which is like that's the worst way. Like if somebody, if somebody's <laughs> yeah. making fun of you or somebody's picking on you, the absolute worst thing you can do to stop it is to throw a hissy fit like that. He should
0: wear like Winnie the Pooh material all the time. He should own it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta lean into into. it. It's it's the same thing, like you know, when Trump does stuff, when somebody says something, that's completely not true, and I would never, and everybody like, you're overreacting, and that just makes us like Mm -hmm. know that it's more true. You know what I mean? Like, if you would just let it go and be cool, people wouldn't keep making fun of you. But if you ban it in your whole country, people will never forget. All right, uh, that's it. Good good uh, recap, I suppose, for this week. Uh, let's
0: get to this week's interview. Uh, it was really nice to talk to him finally. Uh, we did briefly discuss the fact that he shares a name with a very particular 90s celebrity. Uh, we got that right out of the way early on in the interview. But Professor Luke Perry, uh, he is the professor of government at Utica College. He is also the founder of the UC Center for Public Affairs, which has some really excellent uh, reporting if you're looking for political reporting, especially about the November midterms, upcoming election, uh, upstate New York, local district. He does some really, really, really excellent writing. He's a great Twitter follow as well, which is the reason he's on this show, because I follow him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also has a new book out, uh, Religious Responses to Marriage Equality. That's really interesting. If you want to read it, uh, there's some info at the end for how you can, uh, how you can acquire it. Uh, but let's get to this week's interview with Professor Luke Perry. Distracting process sure. than dealing with They're the mind of their own, I they, Yeah, he has no yeah. inkling. Alright, Luke, I'm gonna get this out of the way right off the bat because whenever somebody who comes in and has something like this, I have to get out of the way so I can move right past it. We are I think you're probably a, a little bit older than me, or right in my generation in terms of age. So how much growing up did you get the 90210 thing? Like did you hear it all the time, every single day? Do people just give you a hard time?
3: Well, it's funny. So I moved uh, <laughs> going into eighth grade mm. and uh, moved across the country from Chicago to outside New York City. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was my first day in school, and that's right when Beverly Hills 901 oh, yeah. came out. And everybody was looking at me, and I was already the new kid, but the show had taken off pretty quickly. And I was the new kid with the famous name, which actually helped me. So I was going to say, it's kind of a good look, actually. It's faded over the years, but like you said, people of our generation Is a certain, like, can't wait to just pull me aside and be like, I love your name. Well, I wanted to get it out of the way because, like again, I am from a certain generation
0: where I'm like, that's like a name that people have to remember from this particular generation. Like, I don't know if that show carries on, if people still talk about it outside of like this one group of like decade of people, right? But uh, no, we're not talking, of course, to actually Luke Perry. We're talking to the uh, government professor and chair at Utica College, the director of the Utica Center for Public Affairs, columnist and panelist on the Ivory Tower from WCNY. You do a lot of stuff, Luke. You're all over the place. Luke Perry, it's a pleasure to finally have you on the show uh your Twitter profile has lots of stuff going on. You're a
3: busy man. <laughs> I try to keep busy, yeah. Let's like keep moving.
0: Uh so what is your actual job title at UC since I also do technically work there with you? Uh
3: I'm professor and chair of the Pro- government department. And I also and direct the Center of Public Affairs and Election Research.
0: Very nice. Uh and I have to say I really I've one of the main reasons I wanted you to come on the show is you have a very uh, lively Twitter feed. I love reading your Twitter feed.
4: Thank
0: you. Uh, and it was really nice to actually uh, get you in person to talk to you, because there's a lot of things I want to discuss, a lot of things I've seen, a lot of things I want your opinion on. Uh, but first, I guess the best way to start is to let people know a little bit about you. You said already you moved across the country. Where were you initially born?
3: Outside of Chicago. It's Outside It's called LaGrange, Illinois. Yeah. So La both Grange. my parents were from the city. Huh. And they met, uh, they were public school teachers, so they met nice. in, in school. My dad taught music, my mom taught art, and uh, so I spent most of my childhood in suburban mm-hmm. Chicago. Now,
0: uh, I have to ask, because I have family out this way, uh, is LaGrange near uh, Joliet at all?
3: I think so. Yeah, western suburbs. Okay,
0: I have family out in Joliet, and the, and the, so I always tell people they're from Chicago, and they're like, what
3: part of Chicago? I'm like, it's not really Chicago. It's right. Like the, the out- it's the, the area. The outskirts yeah.
0: of Chicago. And was it just... uh, Were you uh, only child? Did you have brothers and sisters? I have an
3: older sister. She's three years older than me. What did you remember mostly about uh,
0: family life in Chicago? Did you have a good time hanging with your sister? You had a lot of friends and things like that?
3: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I I lived... uh, That part of uh, the suburbs had not been that well developed. So my parents went there... Because I wanted some open space outside of the city, hadn't grown up in the city. But we went into into Chicago a good bit. I'm a Cubs fan, so I grew up going to the Wrigley Field, which was a lot of fun (laughs) and a lot of pleasant memories. And then we'd go, you know, my dad was a a traveling uh, district... Salesman. So uh, during the summers, we travel throughout the Midwest, which is his region. So I spent a lot of time camping and fishing and swimming in lakes in Wisconsin and Michigan and all that kind of stuff. Very nice.
0: You know, what's funny about Chicago too is uh, one of the few things I do remember. My sister lived very briefly in Wrigleyville when we when they were just her and her husband just gotten married and they were living in the city. And I just love the way that when you walked through Wrigleyville, uh, Wrigleyville near the stadium. The stadium just sort of snuck up on you. You'd be looking at all these, like, businesses and bars and just people, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, there's Wrigley Field. It's just right here in the middle, <laughs> in the middle yeah. of
3: everything. I love the vibes out there. What uh, what brought you to the East Coast? Well, my dad switched jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I was uh, just about high school age, and so I went It's a to- tough age to move. Yeah, you know it's funny. I, a lot of people say that. I yeah. look back. I was excited. I was like, "All right, Thanks. we're going to New York." I didn't know any better. I, I'd never moved before. I thought I would live in Illinois my whole life. And uh, yeah, so it was it was hard uh, to make friends. But uh, you know, you learn a lot. I, I've moved a lot throughout my life. That's a theme, mm, and yeah. I think it's been helpful and teaching me how to get along with all different types of people and learning about the diversity in America. Good.
0: So. I was actually going to ask you, I wonder if it affects you, and you already jumped to it, but it's a great point. Like, I think that having sort of a different background and seeing a lot of what else the world looks like is important, and I struggle with to tell this to my kids that I work with at Proctor. I'm like, you guys are going to have a better view of what the world looks like than a lot of these other places around here because you're going to see all the diversity and all the different backgrounds and, and where people are coming from in a way that's going to prepare you I noticed it when I lived in New York City. A lot of my friends who didn't go to Proctor, didn't go to Utica public schools, or didn't go to public schools in general, were struggled with culture shock once they got down there. So,
3: yeah, I mean, I've lived in nine states, traveled yeah. to nearly all of them. Uh, I've lived abroad a few times, and it just oh, nice. you're, you're expanding your horizons all the time. Besides Utica, obviously, of course. What's your favorite place that you've lived outside of here? Uh, that's a good question. I think for me, it's measured in the place that I could see myself going back to. Yeah, everywhere yeah. I've lived, mm-hmm. uh, there's things I like and things that I could do without. Um, so usually I'm forward-looking and I don't sure. want to go back. But uh, I am partial to Western Massachusetts. Western Mass, very that's nice. That's where I met my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> went to graduate school, which is a transformative experience for me. So that was quite enjoyable. But I like other, you know parts mm-hmm. of, of everywhere I've lived. Now... Uh, Getting into uh, getting into end high
0: school. You said you went to grad school at UMass. Where'd you go for the rest of your college?
3: Uh, York College of Pennsylvania. York college. So I went to high school in in Rutherford, New Jersey, which is right in the whole Meadowlands area. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my high school experience. And I, now I like visiting New Jersey, but at the time I hated living there. It was very industrial and yeah. congested. So. You know, at the time, you can get a very reasonable out-of-state tuition at York College, mm-hmm. and uh, I was actually looking to play baseball there. Oh, nice. Um, but I didn't like the coach, which was actually good because <laughs> I didn't play <laughs> and, and applied myself with a new level to my studies, which which infinitely improved my life. So. so baseball was your thing. What was your major at the time, or at least your initial major? Your environmental science was environmental my science. initial major, and then I quickly realized that that wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was undeclared for two years, and then I was in an intro to American government class, mm-hmm. like the ones I teach now at Utica College. I liked the professor. He took an interest in me. I mean, I'd, I'd not only show him my work, but I'd show him poetry, and he, you know, he was oh, really nice. just very nice and encouraging and a mentor to me, and one day I said, that's that's what I want to do. I want to be the first person in my family to get a Ph.D., yeah. and now I teach at a school <laughs> similar to York. Now, I have to ask you this question, just because I'm, I'm very curious.
0: Uh, Was politics something at the time that you were even really aware of? Was it on the periphery, or were you already interested getting out of high school into college in in the workings of politics?
3: Well, as I think you're probably familiar with, people who who gravitate to politics, there's usually a reason, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I never heard of that. That's interesting. (laughs) What's that all about? (laughs) So, my parents were always interested in current issues, Mm -hmm. and we talked about all kinds of things at the dinner table. Even though my dad traveled, we had dinner together regularly. And so, I think those seeds certainly were planted there. Mm -hmm. And then, I was always interested in American history. So, I minored in American history, but then as I got into things more, I, you know, I, I, I like both, but politics kind of mm-hmm. edged out history in, in my focus. And uh, before we do get into some of the, the politics stuff, because I do have some
0: questions here, I just got to ask, uh, what was your initial, how did you initially get into Utica College, and how did the Utica Center for Public Affairs sort of begin for you?
3: Well, uh, so, we, we mentioned that I went to graduate school yeah, in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and that's where I, I met my wife. Uh, she was from Colorado so um she would see for family reasons needed to go back there so i actually finished up my dissertation out of residence chasing my wife across the country (laughs) uh so i moved to uh colorado and uh i needed a job Mm. even though i was still working on my dissertation and that's when i got my first full-time professorial job nice at a state college in nebraska so i spent three years in generally rural western nebraska uh then I I got a different job in Southern Utah at a state university in Southern Utah. Nice. And that's uh, I share that because at that point, my wife and I were married. uh, Our first child was on the way, and we wanted to get closer to to family, which would have been Colorado um, or my parents who who lived Mm -hmm. in New Jersey. So um, that's that's how we ended up at Utica. Mm, We had sort of a circle around each of where our parents were, and this is a little farther north Mm -hmm. than I anticipated, but... Uh, I, I like traveling throughout the northeast and we both related to the northeast and mm. so that's what brought me to, to Utica yeah you know I think, uh, I think what's interesting about it too is
0: you probably get to a certain point in time where you know she's ready to have a, a kid you don't want to be on the road all that often anymore after a while like I love the idea you know I spent years playing in bands and being on the road and doing the van thing and driving across the US but after a certain Age, I feel like this is the aspect of like getting up and necessarily wanting to just move people in your family over and over and over again becomes much less enticing <laughs> after a certain while, right? Like, yeah, you want to build something for yourself or some sort of home, and and yeah. I don't
3: we had been mobile for work, and yeah. then we were starting our own family, so mm-hmm. it's, it seemed like a good time mm-hmm. to try to get closer to to mm-hmm. our family at, at that point. So uh, let me ask you this question: I do.
0: I guess we should get into politics. You have an excellent Twitter feed. Uh, i got to ask you, just because, you know, you have a lot of really dense, interesting stuff on here about politics, and Twitter is not a place that necessarily appreciates dense takes on things. How do you sort of deal with, like, the negative aspect of Twitter? I'm sure there's a positive aspect, too, to do it as well, in terms of just getting your stuff out I don't know. We use it for the show. But do you just sort of do your best to ignore these people, or do you engage with people on, on, these, on these platforms?
3: That's a good question. Funny story how I got on Twitter, because yeah. I've only been on Twitter for a couple of years, but... Um, I had this idea to cover the national conventions mm-hmm. um, and, and went to WKTV and said, hey, you know, I could get a grant from my college to, to do some mm-hmm. reporting down there. Uh, you know, you're interested in that, help me get the credentials, because uh, I knew they were going to be interesting conventions. Yeah. And the only way you can really have access to it is to be media or mm-hmm. to be a delegate. Right. So." Um, that came together, and somebody at KTV said, "Do you do you have a Twitter account?" And I said, "No." And I said, "Well, you should get one because we're gonna retweet the heck out of you." Oh yeah. Uh, so I said, "Oh, all right." So I had to kind of open my mind to the whole thing. And social media is, you know, it's got advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. For me, in terms of dealing with the backlash, uh, actually writing uh, writing a column during that time for mm-hmm. the OD. My email was included, so I got accustomed to getting all sorts (laughs) of different feedback. And some was positive, some was negative, and that was fine. And even with the negative, you know, the the really sort of Mm non-productive negative name calling, I adopted an approach that every time somebody writes me, I thank them for reading or listening or whatever it may be. And even if they call me names, I give them one chance. I say, you know what, I'm happy to talk more about what I wrote or about politics, but calling me X, Y, and Z... It's, that doesn't really help anything. And you know what's interesting? I learned 70% of the time the people write back and say, oh, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I shouldn't have done that, or I was just trying to get your attention. And I'm thinking, well, I gave you my email. Like, you had my attention. So <laughs> I, just, I try to do the same thing on Twitter. I try to be nice, and my students make fun of me, because there is a little bit of snark on Twitter, and I'm just not into it. I don't want to treat people that way, and I'm just going to be nice, and if they don't want to be nice, that's fine. Well, I think it's, it's interesting. I talk about this with my kids all the
0: time, basically. My students... Love, they're addicted to their cell phones, right? They're addicted to it. And I'm just talking about, like, the James Gunn thing. Uh, James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, who got fired because of old tweets. And you're seeing a lot of athletes coming. I do think that Twitter has a really... And Twitter and all the social media has an important place, like, in terms of discourse. I'm just... I really feel like we... This technology is still so new... And we're still sort of only in the first 20, 30 years of having this technology. I do think we, we've we yet to see the overcorrection where we sort of pull back away from it. I think we're still sort of in the... The impact of these direct... Uh, this direct conversation is still a lot for people. And they react poorly, I've noticed. I, I just struggle with it as a guy who is a registered Democrat, has been de- uh, voting Democrat for a long time. Maybe I'm just prone to hyperbo- like hyper- hyperbolics, but... I'm concerned that with the social media and the interaction and stuff, we've gotten to a place where maybe this is all going to hell. Can we be, are we ever going to be able to fix this in terms of traditional discourse we used to have before, let's say, the Trump administration and the Obama administration?
3: I wonder that. Well, that's, that's a big, tough question. I, I, I'm also skeptical. I mean, I think with every wave of communication technology, society and discourse has changed, whether it's print or... You know, the beginning of digital media with radio and then television, uh, society's patterns of the behavior change, oh, yeah. and it's going to be the same for social media. Now, I think w- interesting in what you said is, yeah, we're in a very fluid new period yeah. now, so hopefully over time people, when they have more experience, uh, more opportunity to reflect, mm-hmm. then they'll think a little bit more about how they're engaging the social media, what they're getting out of it, what's positive, what's not. So hopefully that that in, increases over time. At the same time, as you know, in politics and business, people are going to maximize their advantage through these mediums, uh, whether they can. And uh, social media is cheap, and uh, people are going to put a lot of time and effort to try to get certain things out of it, and that's not always going to be positive. I think it's intriguing for me. I've been on Twitter for a long time. I'm, like,
0: in that perfect age range where I was, like, 22, I think 23 when I first got onto Twitter, and just, like, yeah, this is right up my wheelhouse, and I feel like if you look at the way that the Obama administration and that White House handled Twitter, you look at the way this current administration handles Twitter it does feel like a shift that is influencing the way that people interact, right? We look at these, you know, whether or not you you like Trump or not, and I've, people who listen to my show know how I feel about it, that position, the President of the United States, was a position that has always held high esteem no matter who you were. It didn't happen to be, like, oh, only a certain amount of people care about this. Everyone cared about it. Does it, is it concerning to have that much like, opinion and connection to a person you're supposed to, like, idolize or look up to in a, I don't know how to put it, right? Like, it's, it's concerning that a person in a position of power like that uses that platform to me for mostly opinion-based conversation as opposed to sharing more broad concepts about, like, politics, right? Like, it just seems, like, very disconcerting that we've gotten to opinions so heavily.
3: Well, I, so this is something I've done some research on, uh, Twitter and, and politics, particularly as it relates to the presidency. So I've written some things on this. I think... You know, Obama started engaging social media, and he did it mostly to share information, to Mm -hmm. express gratitude. Donald Trump has revolutionized the the use of Twitter. And I used to tell my students during the campaign, watch this, this is different. Mm -hmm. We've never seen anybody do this type of thing. And then they'd they'd laugh, and then he becomes president Mm -hmm. and continues to do the same thing. So, you know, his style, uh, I think, broadly, like other politicians, Mm -hmm. is trying to connect with people in a very direct and immediate way that he can manage. So... That's why, you know, Roosevelt did fireside chats. So yeah, that's yeah. how, you know, Kennedy used the television and press conference. That's that's what Trump's doing. That I think fits with previous presidents. What is different, which I think you're touching on, is that he has a deeply personal approach to politics Yeah. Uh, in a way that we had never seen from the president, a modern mm-hmm. president before. Mm-hmm. And um, he's willing to go negative, uh, which is mm-hmm. a political science phrase. He's willing to attack perceived opponents um, w- without any restraint. And so when you get that approach coupled with twitter Mm -hmm. which is 24 hours a day um you know no filter coming directly from the president and or the people he employs uh, to manage his twitter account it's different so uh, looking around the bend i I doubt that we're going to see somebody at least a president mimic Mm -hmm. uh president trump in terms of how he's doing that but all candidates uh in 2020 are going to have to Think about a comprehensive Twitter strategy to manage what others coming out of Trump. Oh, yeah. So it'll have that impact. And I think people are going to try to figure out how to take the benefits of what Trump has, has done with Twitter, basically manage the news cycle as he wants to, while dropping away from some of the more problematic aspects, the personal insults, the those types of things mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people, Republicans and Democrats, find off-putting. Yeah, no, I think it's true. And I, I think what's... Again, it's like, you look at it, and
0: I do think I'd be naive to assume that any politician going forward wouldn't realize that this is a platform that works to a certain extent, right? This, you know, for as much as it, for someone makes me uncomfortable when I read I'm sure there are a lot of people who support the president who look at it like, yes, I love that this guy speaks directly to us. Like, this is almost exclusively, I feel like, to cater to that that group of people who wants him to be this person, right? Like, you have to be the character that people assume you're going to be, right? I think that's and that's what I think is interesting about this and I actually want to get into something else but I, now that I'm thinking about it, right if you're if you're Donald Trump there's no benefit for you to, to, to stop doing the things that people don't like because the things that people who you have like 32-33% 30, of people who love you as you are and you're afraid to alienate that group because that group's going to be there almost no matter what you do I feel like and that's the other part of it you start thinking about how do I do this to gain the most while losing the least which is which I guess is any sort of politics to sure, a certain yeah. extent Uh, I have a question for you that's away from direct national politics. Um, I struggle with this with my kids. My kids in school are generally 7th and 8th graders. I work with the high school kids as well. I try in the mornings to sort of like pull up the news for them, right? To pull up NPR, pull up whatever, Observer Dispatch, local news. People know what's going on. And I notice that there is a sort of a struggle I have with getting kids interested in local news politics in any way that affects them. Uh, what's something that we can sort of do to try and get kids more interested in the politics and the government around them? Is it is it focusing on local stuff? Is it finding a way to make it relate to them? Like, how do you get kids interested at a younger age now in voting in politics?
3: You know, I think it's a great question. What I try to do is related to their interests mm-hmm. and the issues that they care about. Um, as a professor of politics, I would love for my students to want to wake yeah. up and consume various forms of news, but. You know, I remember being a student. You remember being oh, a student. Yeah. Busy. You're thinking about other things. Uh, maturity level isn't hopefully where we are now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I get all that. So, you know, one of the things that I found interesting in my classes is that when we do Current Events Day in my Intro to American Government classes, I kind of feel like the press secretary for the president because yeah, my yeah. students are asking all kinds of questions. Mm. Did this happen? Why did this happen? What are the implications? Is it good or it's bad? And, I, you know, I try to talk them through that in a way that's... That's constructive, and um, so you know that's once once you hook people by yeah. this issue I care about, or this happened to my mom, or my brother's going through that, then people they can relate to it on a personal level, and then you say, okay, so you're you're dealing with this situation. Here's how the government's involved at the local level, the state level, and the national level. Here's a couple stories that talk about this. Read them and tell me what you think. I mean, th- those types of things uh, I think could be helpful yeah. to try to address. Very nice. That. Because it's dizzying. Like, I, you know, we yeah. have more information than ever before, but not just students, but a lot of people don't know where to start and how to make sense of all the information at our disposal.
0: Because if you look at
3: like every in every article I read now on any sort of
0: left-leaning website, talks about like the future of this party is like millennials and women and minorities, and I'm like, I look at all these millennials, and I'm like, none of them are even interested in registering to vote right now. They barely think about it, right? Like that's what scares me. Is we, we you know, from the Democratic side, we bank a lot on like the youth. Being primarily voting for Democrats, right? And I don't, it concerns me that I don't see as many kids as I would hope getting excited for the prospect of being part of the voting process, of being part of their, you know, community. I don't mean just on a national level. We have a big local election coming up in November, and I wonder how many of my students, even my high school students, even are planning on voting. And it makes me disconcerned. It's just that I've noticed.
3: Yeah, well. So, I think two things. One, I think millennials get a bit of a, a bad rap. Yes, um, I agree. In the sense that, you know, I have a lot of students who are engaged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, liberals, conservatives, you mm. know, uh, they care. They're fine. So, maybe, obviously, I work with students that are interested in <laughs> that. Well, I wonder, that, I wonder but where, but, where that, like, transition is. Because
0: I do think with the high school kids, it does sort of still feel a little bit farther away. Whereas college kids, I think, tend to want to be more involved in the way politics work. I wonder where that switch is, <laughs> like, at 19, 20.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. So, I think at college, you get to pursue a lot more interest yeah yeah so that's that's probably part of it
0: mm. now uh, I want to talk a little bit about this local election you've actually posted a lot of good stuff on your Twitter about this local election 22nd district uh, Claudia Tinney uh, Anthony Brindisi I have to ask you this question just because I thought about it a lot on my end is there a concern at least in Oneida County that this entire election falls on the hospital issue They're like we start voting along the lines of the downtown hospital it's something I keep thinking about. Uh, It seems to be the most divisive issue that I talked to with anybody on this show in particular. We've had people from both sides of the argument for uh, pro Downton Hospital and anti. Do you think that's going to have some effect in the way that this election
3: goes? Are they going to have to choose sides necessarily on this? I think it could have a moderate effect. Yeah. Um, You know, it kind of breaks along partisan lines. So I think people who are against the hospital tend to support Tenney, and Mm -hmm. they might be more. Enthusiastic to vote or participate because in, it, yeah. in uh, campaigns and you know the campaign mm. and related work, uh, but it, you know that's one of many issues, yeah. And it's a big district, so obviously, here in, in the heart of Utica, it's the well, United County one. section. I feel like uh, it's it's funny the way I think about it. Like, I,
0: Oneida County, I always it's funny, I don't think about sometimes the effect that Oneida County is only a small portion of that 22nd district, but I feel like losing Oneida County would be a rough thing for Brindisi to have to get over if he lost it to her because of like whatever reason, right? And I don't know, I, again, I don't know the numbers in terms of each county, but I feel like if Oneida County is an important portion of this 22nd district to win, it just I feel like that hospital becomes such an overwhelming issue for this particular county in terms of the way people vote.
3: Right. I, I think, you know, in any campaign, particularly a competitive one like this, mm-hmm. there are issues that are kind of proxy issues for right. both sides. So I, you know, I think there are legitimate differences on that, on uh, mm-hmm. the hospital. I'm not trying to underestimate sure. that. But I don't necessarily think it's decisive. I mean, I think what's really interesting about this race is if you've got, okay, County is the biggest county in the district. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Brindisi's going to win, he's trying to flip Oneida County, yeah. uh, beat Representative Tanya on her own turf, and then try to close the margins in the, in the more middle. rural county. So you know, from a political perspective, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the reason that one particular issue is not going to be, you know, make or right. break is that people know both Anthony Brindisi and Claudia Tenney. They've been yeah. around for years, and I think that's more what a lot of voters are going to rely mm-hmm. on. Who are they more comfortable with? Who do they think is going to better represent mm-hmm. the people? And I think that level of familiarity, um, because they have been in the political scene and part of the community for so long, is probably going to be more impactful mm. than some some local issues, even that one. Should we prepare to get some level of national
0: coverage based on these elections in November? I feel like i already seen a couple, like I've seen political articles and I've seen a few articles yeah. that have already started vaguely talking about uh, Claudia and, and Anthony. Do you think we're going to see like a higher level of national coverage than normal with this election?
3: Sure, yeah. I mean, you asked about the Center of Public Affairs. I, I created that. Yeah. Um, uh, about two years ago, um, kind of building off my, my service work for the OD where I was writing columns, I said, like, Well, what if I can get more people to write, yeah. disseminate it on the web for three? And now I have the team of about 50 political scientists uh, from around the world, and we're, we reach 150 countries. And uh, I bring it up because last summer when mm-hmm. Brindisi declared, I thought, Well, you know, I should probably start writing about this race because yeah. there will be national attention. It's probably going to be mm-hmm. close. If the Democrats are going to retake the House, they have to do well in places like. Uh, Central New York. And so I've been writing this column, the NY22 Minute, for over Which a year. Which I very much now.
0: enjoy, by the way. I was reading it Thank before you. you came in. It's very kind much. of you. I
3: appreciate it. So, in terms of national attention, uh, yeah, you know, I've been, I was interviewed by the New York Times. There'll be a piece coming out on, nice. on the NY22 uh, within this next week. And yeah, Politico uh, has it as a top 10 must watch oh, yeah. race. So, I, I think certainly that's going to be the case, particularly as we get closer to the election and, and, forecasters are trying to determine who's what party is ultimately going to win control of the house
0: uh i listened to a podcast series earlier this week from the guys who do uh, pod save america and i hate to generally promote other podcasts on my show but they did a really nice job with this uh, it was a long porn podcast called the wilderness and one of the things they talked about is is you know primarily how the democrats lost control of of the house and senate and and what happened with Trump and Hillary and all these kind of things. And one of the things they talked about that I thought was, that I, that I keep going on in my head, is like where the future of the Democratic Party is going and where the future of both parties is going forward. Um, one of the things they did is they basically called people and said hey, we're doing a, a piece. Could you tell us what you think is wrong with the Democratic Party, right? And you sort of got these two sides, which is basically it's not progressive enough Or we've gotten away from, we've gotten too progressive. Do you think there's a real chance in the future that we see, not necessarily a split between the Democratic Party, but maybe a more progressive party and a more centrist party as as opposed to just the two parties we have? And I see a lot of negativity with the idea that the two parties don't represent people in this common, in this current
3: age. Yeah, so we have what are called big tent parties. So with two-party system, yeah. it goes all the way back to the ratification debate for the Constitution. And mm-hmm. it's very difficult for third parties to emerge because they usually get absorbed by one of the two major right. parties. So what you had in 2016 was really sort of the pivotal moment in American politics where someone with no political experience was surprisingly elected, right? Uh, the Clinton campaign didn't think he was going to win. Donald Trump and his campaign didn't think he was going to win up mm-hmm. through election night. Yeah. So... In terms of political parties, that's led to a lot of soul-searching over the last two years in terms of what it means to be a Democrat and what it means to be a Republican. Now, in terms of the Democrats, yeah, so the question is how to respond to the Trump presidency. Democrats are unified and enthusiastic in opposition to, to President Trump. But, do you know, strategically, do you move to the left or, or do you try to move to the middle? Yeah. And I think uh, that conversation continues. It depends on where in the country we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in central New York, Brindisi, he's moved to the middle. Yeah. All right. And the interesting thing is that grassroots liberal organizations really like him. Yeah. Whereas in many other parts of the country where you have the Democrat <laughs> who moves to the middle liberal progressives say, whoa, well, wait a second, we want you to move to the left. But yeah. in my estimation, uh, liberal progressives in this area want to win more than they care yes. about
0: ideology. I think you're totally right with that because I would, I again, I, I sort of fall somewhere in that middle line. I understand the idea of, like, you want to be a centrist and you want to you want to pull in these people who maybe have been lost in the far right's push, even the right's push even farther right. You maybe want to win that middle ground back. I don't necessarily think we need to. I think you need to motivate younger people to get excited, really, has always been my concern, which is why I brought it up earlier. But uh, Yeah, I wonder, though, I really do think, like it does concern me when I talk to my stepfather, who is also a Democrat, but we are sort of on different sides of the Democratic, like, it, right. it's it's disconcerting, and I hope that those differences between like, the Central Democrats and the progressive Democrats don't come back to bite us once again,
3: right? Well, here's the thing, in a Big Ten party, you need coalition. Yeah. You need different groups yeah, yeah. that have the working... Mm-hmm. Uh, agreement so to speak where mm-hmm. they'll be on the same side even they don't agree with everything on the republican side it's a similar thing you've got you know trump is not a traditional republican Correct. in yeah. terms of uh, trade for instance and in some ways he is a traditional republican in terms of tax cuts and deregulation so republicans right now are trying to sort out you know they they're not bailing on trump because they control american government they want to continue that um, but at the same time they're they're not so happy with some of the things he's doing as well. So I think you have this in both parties, and you know, these things are are natural, but Hmm. coming out of 2016, there's a lot more uh, introspection. Uh, I just got to ask this question. I know it's a little bit off-topic about uh, politics, but I just saw it this morning as I was
0: waking up. Uh, Donald Trump was on Twitter again today. He sort of personally attacked LeBron James this morning, which was sort of weird, this sort of ongoing like, athletes versus the president feud that's been going on for a year and a half. I see a lot of people's response to this, which is either like, either people who don't like Trump who are like, "Yeah, look at this idiot going after a basketball player," or people who don't think that athletes should talk about sports in this way. And you hear that sort of like "shut up and dribble" argument, or like "stick to sports." What is your? Wh- where do you feel like we are in this current thing? Is like you have athletes and celebrities who want to like comment on it, but people sort of see them as disingenuous in a weird way. Like, should should these athletes are like, uh, or like or actors or celebrities like sort of stick to what they know or is it just like anything else it's like politicians don't always just talk about politics Should they just only stick to politics
3: like where's the line in terms of uh what the civil discourse is here i guess that's a hard question but a good one i mean i guess i'll start backwards in the sense that mm. i think if you're elected to national office you have better things to do right than criticize uh athletes actors yeah. or professors the media, so on and so forth. Mm. So if we're going to talk about civil discourse, I'd rather see our elected officials, Republicans and Democrats, at any level, focus on the people's business Mm. uh, rather than do that type of thing. Which all seems like a distraction more than anything else, just to keep your eyes somewhere else is when I watch a lot of this stuff. Some people think it's part of the strategic approach to do that. Um, I think that's reasonable to, to consider. I also think that... If you, you know, you need a thick skin to be in politics. Sure, people are going to criticize you. People are going to say things you mm-hmm. don't like. Uh, if you respond to everything, you know, then you're just going to be, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to be civil all the time if you're just attacking people who attack you. So I think some of it you just have to let it roll off of you. In terms of whether actors uh, and, and athletes should should speak out, I think that's up to them. You know, I, I value the First Amendment. If mm. they want to, they feel like it's worthwhile for them to express them, themselves in that mm. way. Fine. I mean, the contrast between Michael Jordan, for instance, and LeBron James is fascinating. LeBron. Oh yeah. Michael Jordan wanted to sell sneakers, and he stayed out of politics. Mm. And some. Uh, people have criticized him for that. And I grew up in Chicago idolizing Michael Jordan, so I'm not necessarily one of those people. But here you've got LeBron James. who has got viewpoints. He's got uh, millions of people who look up to him. So I'm not going to tell him what to say. He can say what he thinks is right. What's interesting about LeBron, at least from my perspective, I think it's... He's sort of gotten... Like, he was a guy who was
0: sort of divisive in the sports world. A lot of people didn't like him. A lot of people thought he was the best player they'd ever seen. Just, I think that happens when you're an all-star athlete. Now it seems like if you have an opinion about LeBron, it's almost... Less of a basketball opinion and more of like him as a person opinion, it seems like, because he's become such a important figure. I just read last week he, was a, he, uh, he opened that school in Akron, like he opened the, his own school that guarantees college for kids and stuff. And it's like, yo, he, that's the kind of thing you do sort of want your athletes to be doing. Like, you see a lot of at, people complain all oh, these athletes they have all this money. It's like, this guy has all this money and he gives it back to his community because he's that kind of guy. And I do think that sort of trickle-down effect happened in the NBA where it didn't in the NFL and Major League Baseball and things like that. LeBron is the star. And when LeBron feels comfortable being open and talking about politics or about community or about giving back in that way, he sort of sets the table for everyone else in the league to sort of open their opinions up in that way. And that is where, at least watching as a sports fan like I am, I do look at the way the NBA is handled, the way their athletes talk about stuff in a much, much better way than
3: any of the other sports have. Right, so it touches on business and the ownership in the NBA Mm. and the management is different than in the NFL. Exactly. And it also touches on race, obviously. Mm. Um, Yeah. You know, having the president attack a prominent African-American person um, in that way is is certainly controversial.
0: Yes. Yeah, especially with the preordained sort of ideas of how people feel about what the president thinks about anyone who's not. Well, to, and he yeah, attacked his intelligence, too. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. just basketball play. Exactly. That would be another matter. He did mention he liked Mike, so I don't know if that comes at the end there. Uh, all right, so before we get into our lightning round question, uh, and I do want to thank you, Luke, for coming on today. I My really pleasure. appreciate it. Uh, I just happened when I was scrolling through your Twitter feed to see that you have a book that you're, four days ago, you have a book that you uh, finished that you have out? Oh, is it recent? Yes? Uh, Do you want to promote your uh, book for us? Yeah, that'd be yeah.
3: great. So, my specialty is, is uh, within American politics, and then I've got a couple of things that I look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at elections and campaigns, obviously, so I'm working on a book now uh, on how uh, in the congressional districts in our area, the Republican incumbents, manage the Trump presidency. So, that'll be coming out next year. Um, But my my most recent book is on politics and religion, which Mm -hmm. is my other area of specialty, and it's uh, called Religious Responses to Marriage Equality. So what I did is I took a look at uh, religious groups Mm -hmm. across the political and religious spectrum Mm -hmm. and did a comparative case study of how they've processed the issue of same-sex marriage really Mm -hmm. since it became a national political issue in the 1990s and then particularly over the last three years since the Supreme Court via Obergefell Mm -hmm uh found a constitutional right for gays and lesbians nice. so yeah it's been a really it's really interesting um, I think people who engage this sort of have a black and white view that you know religion is one way or another <laughs> yeah, yeah. way when it comes to this issue And and really what I found is that you've got all kinds of different religious groups responding in different ways. Some are very supportive of marriage equality, both religiously and politically. Mm -hmm. Others are not, and you've got a whole bunch in the middle who are trying to figure out what's right uh, for their group and for society. So that's hopefully what I I bring to bear in the book.
0: Very nice. And again, the book, Religious Responses to Marriage Equality by Luke Perry, you can... uh... Was it, they can email you about it. Is that the story, or we're going to go to get the
3: book? Well, I'm not. Let me just say, I'm not involved in pricing for the book. Right. So <laughs> I put my email uh, by the tweet because I'm happy to share and discuss, sure. so people don't have to spend the money for it. But uh, I probably shouldn't like say that. that my publisher wouldn't be happy. But I, I have to, have a good conscience. Uh, so I just got to ask one last thing before we get into round
0: questions. This uh, this November midterm election might be at least it feels like again in the era of hyperbole like, one of the most important midterm elections in the last 20 years. it feel, At least it feels that way. What do you think is the potential aftermath if it goes one way or the other? If the Dems take back the take back the
3: control of the House and the Senate, or if they don't? Like, what do you think goes forward happening? Well, I think, if I had to make an early prediction, I, I think there's a, a modest chance that the Democrats will take control of the House, and mm-hmm. uh, I think the Republicans will most likely control Dissent, the Senate. Yeah. Right, so... Uh, again, this with no certainty, but right, just, a yeah. lot can happen in the next couple of months. But that's what most political scientists yeah. uh, think. So if that happens, uh, you know, I think it's going to really complicate the efforts of the Trump presidency to, to yeah. get things done. He's had a modest record of accomplishment compared to other presidents mm-hmm. at this point. So he's not a highly productive president, even though his party controls Congress. So that's going to make things even more... Difficult. Uh, I think the Mueller investigation at some mm-hmm. point is going to conclude here, um, yeah. and that's—I mean, to me, that's this big cloud hanging over it, everything, and it's hard to look far into yeah. the future until, when, how that unfolds unfolds. It's a great point because it does feel like—I I felt this early on in the
0: in the when he got elected, and then it sort of kind of goes in, in fits and stops, and like the algorithm, but it does feel like nothing ever can really move forward. Until this thing concludes, like if everything moves very, very stagnantly and fits, and this
3: smaller thing just pops up over and over and over and over and over again. Because um, the consequences are right. so stark, right? Oh, yeah. If if uh, President Trump is exonerated, then that's that's all that's whole that's one story in in one direction yeah. there, and that that's possible. It's also possible that you know he's charged with obstruction of justice or mm. other illegal or unconstitutional activities, and that's gonna that would be a mm. You know, historically significant moments. So you've got these two. And, yeah, it's true, and I'm I, I'm not pretending I know what's going to happen. I don't. Um, but when you've got those potential outcomes on the table, and we're just spending months what's, speculating, then it, you know it's amazing. Well, what scares me,
0: I think, is what you'll get is you will have the Mueller investigation find things right that may be illegal, maybe just un you know not nice, or not you know right. proper, and then no one's going to care that's what concerns me is that they'll find this information they'll report that this happened and then it's not going to be enough for anything to change. Like, people will just say, yeah, whatever, we don't, it doesn't matter because nothing seems to matter, it feels like. That's sort of the general, like, dark, cynical view from a lot of, like, voters, like, well, none of this matters.
3: I'm sure, gonna... the, and I understand that from the perspective of the public yeah. perception. Uh, I look at it from political process. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, sure. the, let's, Again, I'm not saying this is the case, but if there's alleged wrongdoing, uh, Mm -hmm. legal wrongdoing on behalf of the president, then there's going to be a legal debate as to whether the president could be prosecuted or not. Um, Some people think if the president commits crimes like anybody else uh, He or she can be charged with those crimes and the legal process can unfold other people argue that the presidency is this unique thing And if there are what are called high crimes and misdemeanors, which is the constitutional language Then it's upon uh, the house to bring impeachment proceedings and the Senate to remove the president uh, if they deem that necessary so how, even how that's going yeah. to unfold <laughs> exactly. is, is uncertain, if that even happens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look at it like if there's criminal alleged criminal wrongdoing, I don't think people in power are just going to look the other way. But I do think there'll be this political battle about how to proceed, mm-hmm. uh, and there's not a lot of clarity of what that would look like uh luke perry i want to thank you
0: so much for joining us uh professor of uh, government utica college uh director of utica center uh or UC, utica center for public affairs uh before i let you go i have a couple quick lightning round questions luke these are the same six questions we ask everybody who's been on the last hundred and some odd episodes we'll start off with this luke perry what was your when you wake up in the morning how do you take your coffee
3: i'm a tea drinker tea drinker very good uh, like i've seen a lot of tea. this lately yeah. black tea yeah a little very. bit of milk very nice very nice uh, what was your first automobile? It was a ugly red Mercury Topaz. A Mercury
0: Topaz. I love which it. Which I ran
3: into the ground <laughs> to the point where I could only drive a few blocks and I'd have to literally put water in it. Yes. <laughs> and that was that. Uh, you may or may not have taken your Mercury Topaz to go see it. But what was
0: your, live, uh, your first live music event?
3: I went to see Paul Simon with nice. my parents at the Rosemont Horizon outside oh, of Chicago. Yeah, my a mom's one. a big Paul Simon fan. I love so. Paul Simon, yeah.
0: I feel like Art Garfunkel doesn't get
3: any love nowhere. No, <laughs> he didn't have
0: the same <laughs> seats after. He's the B side,
3: unfortunately for him.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of music, we'll stay in sort of the same kind of topic. Give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching.
3: I'm currently watching Turn. Uh, oh that's the the revolutionary war spies right yeah yeah, yeah. it's on amc because yeah i've got kids so i'm way behind Mm -hmm. with everything but on netflix my wife suggested that i might like that because i like that period of history and now i'm interested in learning a lot more about new york and revolutionary history but uh yeah it's it's a good drama so that's that's something i'm into now
0: very nice if you could have dinner with any person living or dead who is not your relative who would it be and why tough one. This one always stumps people.
3: Yeah, that is a tough one. Um, I would be interested in visiting with an early American president. I'm mentally thinking which one. <laughs> early American or, president. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, George Washington, I think it would be really interesting because he, he had such a set of challenges on his plate Mm -hmm. Um, certainly a controversial figure in some ways but I'd love to learn how he processed Mm -hmm. all that Uh, and besides
0: uh, politics besides the community besides traveling besides uh, your child your wife and kids give me one more thing that you Luke Perry are passionate about
3: well sports Mm -hmm. sports Uh, very nice yeah I mean this is like a mild recreational passion but uh, being a lifelong Cubs fan there's a bit of the religious dynamic to that when they went over a century and not winning um, and then I you know again I'm thinking more how I unplug uh, gardening I like being gardening. outside very and nice. I like to go uh, uh, you know, get fresh air move around that's where I do a lot of my thinking mm-hmm. so I grew up in an Italian family we've had very very intensive
0: gardens even now and it's like one of those things I feel like people I like, don't see it as often as I used to people don't have they don't take the time to, like, to have land for it or they just don't have land in the suburbs for it but even when I was a kid we grew up like around the corner we had like a little tiny garden and I don't know if people do that as much as they used to
3: Thank well you. it's certainly hard work I mean for me Having small children To be able to incorporate yes. them And now they're crazy About That's vegetables And uh, so it's got Mutual benefits Which is nice uh, Luke thank you so much For joining
0: us It's a real pleasure To have you on today uh, I know it was early In the morning So I'll let you get To your to enjoy the weekend
3: Thanks for having me I really appreciate
0: it It's a pleasure folks We'll be back to the show In just a moment Kept wanting to call him like Mister Professor Perry or like Mister Perry, but he uh, he like very specifically was like, please call me Luke. He, yeah. all right. You then you can start. Be.
2: Then you can immediately double down, and start doing the annoying Darth Vader Luke voice. They're mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know what? Let's go back to Doctor Perry. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Perry is
0: fine for me actually. Uh, no, great time talking to him, uh, and he gets called in for lots of stuff. So you'll see him all over the place, especially as this November midterm start ramping up. We did sort of talk about should we prepare for like a higher level of like national exposure with this election. I think you will see some like national coverage of this.
2: It's been interestingly quiet. Um, in all the in in, in any articles I read right now, um, you know, large things were like, here's the fifty house races to pay attention to, and this and that. And I haven't seen it really mentioned anywhere.
4: It really has, which is
2: interesting to me because I'm not quite sure why either. You know. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple theories, but I'm not sure why I haven't heard much about it. You know what I mean? This isn't some huge district, but a lot of these districts people are talking about aren't huge. You yeah. know what I mean? So I'm very curious. Uh, all right. So I don't have
0: proper history lessons this week. Uh, so we're just going to do some movie stuff. Um, all right. And we're going to do some movie tickets. We're going to play a little game as well. Okay. So we're going to go back uh, 30 years. Back to the past. Uh, and we're going to guess the average price of movie tickets... For the movie that was number one in America that year, okay. So I'll sure. give you the movie. All right. Okay. On this date in 1988, number one movie in America, classic Tom Cruise film, Cocktail. I loved that movie. Cocktail. Uh, and what do you guys think the average price for a ticket nationwide 250. in 1988 was? Two fifty. Two fifty. Kev. Two dollars. Four dollars and eleven cents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, I actually don't really know much about cocktail besides like the scene where he dances around in his underwear that people parody That's all the just time. My is that risky? So I don't know anything about cocktail then. Please tell me about what cocktail is about. No, it's, it's like not. It
1: He's a like a bartender, yeah, right? He's like a cocky bartender. Who cocky bartender. It's the girl <laughs> at the
0: end. So think <laughs> Sorry, about it's that like though. An 80s, like
1: eighties like kind of love bar.
0: We're gonna circle back around to uh, Tom Cruise in just a minute. Actually, oh, uh, 1998. Uh, number one movie in America Saving Private Ryan Which I do really like uh, So Kev you start What do you think Average cost of ticket price I don't remember 1998 $7 $7 dollars Seven seventy <laughs> $4.68 That's
1: only went up In 10 years so.
0: Yeah so in 10 years What is going on outside Someone is squealing down the street Somebody so. needs to take their car to the shop
2: Immediately Horrible! It sounded like a, it sounded like a banshee. I'm sure. I thought game. somebody was getting murdered. I really I'm did. I was horrifying. I thought there was just that's a murder in, a in the neighborhood, and we were going to have to either stop taping or keep taping for <laughs> posterity. That was a lot. Oh wow, that was a lot. All right, we're back. Uh, ugh,
0: sorry, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, yeah, four dollars and sixty-eight cents. Only went up fifty cents
2: over ten years. What the hell were they going to the movies in ninety-eight? I got to tell you, I was at the mall paying paying through the nose. I guess. I do. This is way listen. This is the research I found. Uh, Two
0: thousand eight. Number one movie in America. Kevin's favorite film. Can you name it?
1: No. Is it a Stephen
0: King
2: movie? No. (laughs) No, Stephen King movies are notoriously bad. Okay.
1: (laughs) My bad. Uh, The Dark
2: Knight. Heath Ledger, Dark Knight. There you go. Recently added to Netflix. Mm. Just for anybody who feels like having, you know, watching you know, sometimes you're watching a movie that you've seen a hundred times. Uh what do you think for this one?
1: Eleven dollars.
2: Eleven dollars.
0: Kevin? Ten dollars. $7.18. Seven dollars and eighteen cents. Where
1: people to movies? again. This is the oh, national right? average, I think. Okay. Uh, we're sorry, yeah, we're about. C- Where? I know. In America?
0: Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Look, matinee movies are cheaper, are they not? I don't
1: know. Okay, maybe they're called matinee movies. Are that they called second run theaters? I don't.
0: Know. And then underground
1: theaters. Uh,
0: <laughs> and then on this day, currently, do you guys know what the number one movie in America
2: is? Today? Today? Uh, maybe if I thought about it for a minute. Um, who's got? Anybody got anything out wow. right now. It's
0: the same star as the movie from nineteen eighty eight, Cocktail. Oh, oh, Mission Impossible. Yes, that's right. Mission Impossible Fallout, number one movie in America, uh, where today, in 2018, the average cost of movie tickets is $8.84, which, again, seems low. According to my research, that's yeah. what it says. I'm going to uh,
1: see where you're getting your research from.
2: I'll have to look. I'll yeah, show it, it to you. might be What's the movie cost up at the marquee? I think it's
1: like,
0: it's like 9 up.
2: to $12, depending yeah. on when you go. it's like over
1: 10 it? bucks.
0: I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think
2: it's, it's nine bucks, maybe. Maybe yeah. it's nine. Yeah. I don't know if it's always. I feel like if I go and buy two movie tickets, I pay with a twenty and I get a couple bucks back. Yeah, maybe. I think it's been a while. Mm.
0: So there you go. Uh, I think it's pretty crazy though. That Tom Cruise sort of get like a little resurgence. This movie's like a big
2: deal. People say it's good. You this. know what though? I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if he is getting a resurgence because the weird thing that I notice about Tom Cruise is that at all the Mission Impossible movies that come out, people like and people go see and mm-hmm. people are like, hey, this is good. But it's the only thing he seems to be able to get over. Hmm. like everything else he does in between like people didn't go see that horrible Mummy movie people didn't go I see that, that movie, movie where I can't even remember if he was a space I only think of Mission Impossible fighting. when I think of him or his 80s movies but like that. so yeah that's the but thing so the only, the only movies he can get over seem to be these Mission Impossible we there, movies sure. which is why he keeps
0: making them what are the yeah. best so outside of Mission Impossible let's move the Mission Impossible movies to the side for a second what are the best Tom Cruise movies Top Gun mm-hmm. Days of Thunder sure oh, right yeah. uh, Magnolia no is that is is it no no? But Vanilla Sky, that's what I'm thinking of. No, nobody likes Vanilla Sky.
2: Uh-uh. I like Vanilla Sky, but uh,
0: like not. I like, kind of hate like it. What's the one where he dies a bunch of times, keeps coming back to life? It just came out a couple years ago. It's him and Emily Blunt, and they're in the future, and he like dies and comes back to life over and over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day. Know, that was supposed that. to be good. Apparently, people said that was a good one. Yeah. Edge of something. I don't Wasn't know.
2: Wasn't he in Memento?
0: Memento. People like Memento's a good movie. Like um, he's got movies. Yeah, he's just got a lot of weird misses. Right? And the Scientology thing doesn't help for me because I always think about it. I can't get away from it whenever I'm thinking about it. Think I
1: remember in the age where he was a lawyer. What was that? Oh, that like... Oh! Uh, one of the John
0: Grisham movies. Um, a, good a few movie? good, a good Few Good Men.
1: No that, was the, no, that was one of them. But no, he was like a lawyer. He was a lawyer. Like yeah. The Rainmaker. Yeah. No!
0: No. Um,
1: I can't remember. It was good, though. Yeah, so I guess... Like a young hot
0: I thought it was kind of over for Tom Cruise, to be honest. Like, I thought that, mm. like collateral was like the last movie that was like it was that him and jamie foxx
2: or he was like Mm -hmm. the bad guy that's a pretty good one
0: yeah
2: but i don't know if there's like a he's been popping them comedically like he was in tropic thunder he was he's done a couple other weird things like that
0: let's say i didn't mean to get into tom cruise so long but there we go tom cruise Cruise. back on top 30 years later cocktail
2: doing his own stuff with the vampire tom cruise oh
1: yeah that was great that That is a very great movie
2: yeah. You don't like Jerry Maguire? No. Help me. No. Help, me nope. help you. No. no. I don't like a lot of people like Jerry Maguire. But Jerry Maguire me is not for <laughs> That stupid. What was that song? Uh, it's you remember the song that was really popular on the radio when um, Jerry Maguire was out, and it had like it was a really like heartfelt. Like, yeah, they have them like
1: talking in the ballad beginning. song.
2: and They would play yep. clips of the movie yep. in like the bridge in between each verse. <laughs> What's and like it was doing Bruce different Springsteen. Stuff. Was it? I
1: think it was a Bruce Springsteen. Oh God! I'm pretty sure he said so it. That's so terrible.
2: That poor guy. Secret Garden
0: very by Bruce good. Springsteen. Secret Garden. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, let's see. If I don't get an ad, I'll play it right now on YouTube. We oh. Can...
4: oh. I'll
0: pull it up. now Well, we have slow internet connection, so it'll take a minute. Now, Jerry Maguire is a pretty good movie. It's like not a great movie, but it was like a that was a big time movie when it came out. A lot of movies, big time movies that aren't very good. All right. Well, I can't load it, so we'll come back. Secret. <laughs> We're see... saving the. We'll world see. Favorite yeah. uh,
1: right now, so.
0: Uh, I yeah, so that was longer on history lessons than I planned to go. I guess uh, we'll go through some of these news stories. Did you guys see that Apple is the first uh,
2: American company to be worth one trillion dollars? That happened because they're hiding all their money offshore and not paying taxes. Ooh. There you go. I still
1: support their phones.
2: They're still <laughs> supporting their phones and their nickel and dime and nickel and dime you on special cords and doohickeys and gadgets mm. and planned obsolescence. So what's up, Apple? <laughs> Great job. You're helping. <laughs> Hey,
1: they're making it happen. Good for them.
0: Look, Apple I read somewhere has like an eighty some like some insane amount of money set aside and like twenty five or thirty projects already set up for a media streaming service that they haven't even like built yet. Like they're ready
2: to take on like Disney and Netflix and that's Amazon. That's what everybody's
0: doing. Yeah. That's, that's all these people are ready to go because
2: that's what it's gonna be. I yeah. mean corporations are the new gods. So somebody's gotta <laughs> The old gods are dead. Praise your new gods.
0: Neil Gaiman wrote a great book about it. It's true
1: we we'll am need as many apps as we can if we don't have
0: Spectrum here. Hmm. Uh, very quickly, uh, I was going to get this out of the way, a little sports news. There were two Hall of Fame inductions this week uh, over the last week and a half. There was the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction. Uh, any of these names stick out to you, Kev, let me know. Chipper Jones, Jim course, Tomey. Of course. Uh, Vlad
2: Guerrero. Of course. Trevor Hoffman. Of course. Okay. We're now getting to the age. This mm-hmm. officially is where we're old, where we're going to know every guy. You yeah, know what I mean, every guy who gets inducted, we're going it's not going to be like, oh, I forgot about that guy who had a Hall of Fame career from <laughs> when I was watching baseball when I was 14. You're actually a step ahead of me here because that's
0: where I was going with this next one too, the NFL Ray Lewis, Terrell Owens, Brian Urlacher, Randy Moss, and Brian
2: Dawkins. These are names that I remember, not only like i only vaguely know the name Brian Dawkins. If you said the name The to X-Man, man, I, Weapon X, he used to play for the Eagles. He was a Yeah, yeah. If you had said the name Brian Dawkins to me in relation to something else, I wouldn't have been like, isn't that a football player? I would have been like, I know that name. But the rest of the guys, yeah. I
0: just mean, like, it makes me feel old in a way that, like, I never, that happens all the time when I watch sports now, because a lot of these athletes are, like, younger than me. I'm like, Damn. My time's really over. I'm never gonna be. I'm never gonna be a pro
2: wrestler. I'm never gonna be a I pro s- soccer player. I was having a conversation about the baseball Hall of Fame when um, I was on my way to Boston, actually, and I wanted to get your opinion on this mm. specifically. Oh. And it's something we may have talked about before, probably. Sure. Um, I posited the theory that there will never be a larger induction weekend. There has never been. There will never be than when Derek Jeter gets in. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect storm. It's, you know what I mean, it's it's upstate, it's Yankees fans. Yeah. Um he's one of the last big huge names from when baseball was the main thing and it's yeah. raining to some degree and I think the, a the level point. of cultural cachet that nobody else had and was such a well-liked, beloved and respected player not just by Yankees fans but by everybody. It seems like the perfect storm to be the largest peak Hall of Fame induction weekend that will ever exist. Big Poppy? No. A lot of his Boston people drive to New York for it. First of all, he's a DH. And they might drive, but not as many. But think about everybody from New York. Some A-Rod. people from Mass. No, if A Rod gets in, but A Rod's not bigger than Jeter. Big celebrity now. He's sort of like revamped his image and yeah, stuff. I'm I'm just, just, yeah, trying A J-Lo. lot of people are the only it's person. true. What's that? Living
1: vicariously through J Lo.
0: What a great combination. What a great look for him, by the way. Yo, A Rod. Good for you, man. Good for you.
2: <laughs> I, if you're. I, <laughs> if you got if you got that kind of money and you retire in like a, you're an athletic dude who's like 40 and you've got damn near a billion dollars if you ever get married you're a fool. I don't know what to tell you. I do think it's funny that like marry the, a girl from the neighborhood. Marry somebody who knew you before Jenny's you had all that money. Block. Yeah, it's true. She's still Jenny from the from from block.
4: block. No. No, nope,
0: okay. Marketing <laughs> on the 6th. <six. laughs> Marketing. Well, it's funny. I, I, I've talked about this before. A Rod is an interesting guy. Whenever I see him, like talk, he seems like he's really smart about baseball and stuff. And that's it. That's and that's it. about no, it, though. I can't that's it. To so it talks. is interesting to me that his only like cultural touch points for women he's like interested in are like people from the eighties and nineties. Oh, he dated Madonna and J Lo. It's oh, like, do you right. know anyone
2: past? Like, but to be fair, like he's old. He is old, I like you know what, what I mean. Like, what's yeah. he gonna, what are you gonna do? Send Alex Rodriguez out with Cardi B? What are they gonna talk yo. about? <laughs> yo, know? yo, give me that dating. Put shit. Put him out there with like one of these like young people. He's not. He's an old man. He's in his forties. Uh, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess Jeter's probably going bigger yeah, than the Jeter. The perfect, the perfect, perfect storm.
1: I would yeah, because, and I don't even like baseball just because it's Jeter. Yeah, because yeah. it's Jeter. I mean, just because it's him. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about baseball, but I know, and it's,
2: it's so close, deep in Yankee country. <sighs>
0: It just makes me, th- and I, the only thing I could think of is if somebody in the future were like if Judge becomes like a huge somebody star. in the future. Yeah. But yeah. even then, I don't know if baseball is going to be as exactly. popular as it was in the nineties, exactly. ten, twenty years from now, right? Exactly. So yeah, I think you get a great. It's a great point.
2: The only argument that could be made, even close, but it's not going to be the same is Mariano Rivera, mm. and that's it. Another great Yankee. I need to take what I can today after our four game dropping over the it weekend because it's tough,
0: pretty terrible. Uh, speaking of terrible, you guys ready for a little doomsday report? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Food-based Doomsday Report, not politics. Uh, you guys read about the four types of goldfish crackers and the Ritz crackers that are
2: all getting recalled because of salmonella?
1: I just read that this morning. And I'm like, I'm never feeding my
2: kid anything. I don't think I've had a goldfish cracker in a long time. Like they're good. all right, years and years. Yeah, okay. they're fine. I get them they just for a, a, it makes sense. They seem like they'd be really good for like yeah, kids because they they're daycare. little and you can. Yeah.
1: I call her up. I'm like, don't feed them goldfish.
2: Well, it's funny because yeah. like you think about all the stuff you buy from stores, like
0: processed stuff, packaged stuff, and it's just like you just take for granted that it's all fine, right? That everything's fine. It's all I prepackaged. Like, like when you get in the taxi cab in New York, you're like, well, he's a professional.
1: He just drive. It's fine. You don't worry
0: about
2: it. Just let it go. It's prepackaged I know, crackers. I don't have to worry about eating. Like I've been
1: scared about eating anything. I'm like, I don't want to eat that lettuce, or I don't want to eat that. Everything's getting. Painted
2: and scary it's
0: no. true and <laughs> <laughs> well it's true because then you just start to wonder it's like maybe all these vegans and all these like paleo people are right maybe, yeah, we maybe my husband's on he's something
1: hop on that train
0: I give Parkinson a lot of a uh, uh, grief because he's on the no red meat
2: thing yeah. like he doesn't eat like beef or pork or pork right but I feel like maybe he's on to something I don't hear about any people getting sick from beef and pork
1: yeah, you do. Beef Pe- There's recalled beefs all the time. Yeah,
2: the stuff. I mean, the stuff gets recalled and it's out there, but all these big stories are about lettuce and goldfish <laughs> crackers. If anything, <laughs> I think that people huh. need to go back that to that eating a little salad? more animal protein. <laughs> Uh, let's got, I have one more news. Everything in moderation. I'm a big supporter of anything in moderation.
0: Well, this is another story about no moderation. It is about uh, hot Cheetos and Takis. Are you guys familiar with hot Cheetos? I had hot Cheetos
1: a long mm-hmm. time Remember those hot
0: fries you used to have? Too? Hot fries, yep. Big okay. fan of that hot fries. Really good. Uh, Takis, hot fries, hot Cheetos, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very popular with like the youth demographic right now. And I, and I see this in my classroom. My kids will come in with a giant bag of of like flaming hot cheetos and eat like the whole bag. Now I'm in my 30s, right? So if I eat 7 flaming hot cheetos, my stomach is probably like burned I'll be up.
2: I the hospital. I'll still eat more, but it's there's a mistake. Like <laughs> I've certainly seen you put down some hot cheetos in your like 30s. I used to, though. Not like a not I feel like you regret it afterwards, though,
0: and you're for sure. Like you're not
1: thinking about later what it's going to be like or have any issues. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's been stories actually of families saying that their kids are getting sick, and one actually one child actually had to get their gallbladder removed because they ate like three bags a day of like why these they, hot Cheetos. How are
1: they letting them eat
2: three? Well, yeah, it's like bad parenting too. Explain well, right? like, something to you. Wait until you wait until your child is a teen.
1: I'll kill him
2: and then see what you. See what you let him do that he does anyway. Get out of my face, just eat them all.
1: I don't care.
2: I showed this story to You're my. Not kids. gonna know. He's gonna be out in the woods hanging out with his friends. Okay.
1: I showed this. Dip.
0: <laughs> dip, wow, dip. Yeah, it's true. Cheetos. Yeah, it's true. You traded your kid to be like an outdoorsy type. He's gonna be like spitting into a into yeah, a plastic bottle. i not to that
1: redneck. You call
0: him a redneck. I call Ooh, him an outdoorsy sorry. type. Wow. My father so was a She's triggered now. We got her sorry. all triggered about yeah, yeah, her now. kid. I'm thinking oh. my
1: son's gonna be chewing doing
0: dip in the woods. Yeah, he is. Just wait. <laughs> a little uh, what's the what are the Grizzly? What are the, are the worst? What are the brains? Is it grizzly? Uh, and like the chaw brain. Skull. Skull.
2: That's skull. skull. Yeah, skull. Oh. Can of skull. Oh, my little Cavie, he'll never
0: do that.
2: Timberwolf, if you're a cheapo. Sam the big lipper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a kid who put a hole in his face because he dipped all day every oh. day from like, oh, from like it. when he was like 16 up until like when he got the hole in his face last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
0: have two McDonald's based stories for you guys. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, McDonald's is celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Big Mac by making uh, 14,000 participating restaurants uh, across the United States receive something called MacCoin. They're trying to get up on the Bitcoin thing. It's not a digital coin, mind you. It's a real physical coin. McDonald's ahead of the game, as always. <laughs> yeah, the Mac <laughs> yeah, MacCoin. And if you get a MacCoin, do what, what, you know what it's worth?
1: $10.
0: One Big Mac. So oh. you get it. Uh, it's a free Big Mac, but you get a dope Coin. my question is so you-
2: it's just a middle step in between paying for a big <laughs> yeah, mac
0: yeah. It, just-
2: adds a, it adds a middle man with a percentage cut to purchasing a big mac <laughs> yes they're really ahead of the game here at
0: mcdonald's Unbelievable. uh also i thought this story was hilarious news from uh london uh last month mcdonald's announced it was going to stop doing the plastic straws and stuff right like everyone's doing uh but earlier this week uh, there's a different story Uh, about a bunch of 13-year-old boys in a McDonald's restaurant who are messing around, and one of them used a straw to launch a French fry at his friend's face. Hilarious. Hilarious 13-year-olds, kids goofing around. Mm. He missed his friend, and it hit a woman who was eating with her family. Uh, She, of course, is suing this boy, and he's being charged for assault because of the French fry out of the straw. Just another reason... We gotta ban straws. These straws. You you can't spit a french fry out of a paper straw. That's all I'm saying. I've tried it before, it doesn't work. That kid's
1: probably so stressed out right now. I mean, (laughs) Can you imagine the level of stress he's having right
0: now? Um, McDonald's has pledged they're going to remove the dangerous french fry launchers in their restaurants. Uh, These weaker, less deadly paper ones can't get here soon
2: enough. Some of my least favorite people. (laughs) People who sue for stuff like that. You're gonna sue a 13 year old boy. Well, I, or did they sue McDonald's or did they sue the boy? I think they I, sued... Well, they sued the boy, they're su- actually suing his
1: parents. They're so, suing his parents, his right? parents yeah. are going through all this mm.
2: crap right now. Mm. Uh,
1: nice
0: job, lady. I have, <laughs> I have another wild story for you, and I just I just love the visual of this story, so I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, in the San Diego uh, Aquarium... Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> did you read the story at all? Did you happen to see this? Uh, no, but I've got a take on the Boston Aquarium that we'll talk about when we get away after <laughs> this. Uh, I just remembered when you said the word. Uh, thieves tried to
0: steal a shark, oh, a horn a shark brother. named Miss Helen, uh, from the San Antonio Aquarium by wrapping the shark up and putting it in a baby stroller and pretending the shark was their baby, just holding the shark wrapped up to their bosom as water dripped from the thing and put it in the stroller, brought it, they were captured at their house. What a wild adventure. They made it
1: to their house. How did you get out the door? I know, like, and how's that thing not... Die. Did it die? How did no. they
0: get this? would they jump in? They uh okay, so uh, there's Please video footage little of it. Of this. Uh it shows them basically there's camera footage of them showing it. I, I don't want to go through the whole thing. If you want to look it up, there's camera footage. Miss Helen the shark, look it up. But basically they they stole, they reached into it's a small shark, oh, it's a like horn shark. Pan. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? It's not like a yeah. like a lemon shark or something. It's a tiny little shark. Poor like, oh. little guy. And they wrapped it up and put it in the baby stroller and just walked out of the aquarium. I don't, is there like a market for sharks? Oh, are these sell- kids or no? Adults? These were adults.
2: These were like full-size adults. Yeah, of course, there's a market. Fish tank people. Fish tank people. Underrated right. group of psychopaths. The fish really? tank people. Huh. Not, nah, I mean, not really. But like people, there's people who commit a lot of their mental energy and financial resources towards like having fish tanks all over their house and all up in their mm-hmm. house and. I've known some people who have like super expensive saltwater tanks uh, with like crazy a, expensive fish and stuff like that. And it's cool and it looks cool, but it's definitely a lifestyle choice. Yeah.
1: I had an ex who had a piranha and he loved it. He mm. carried it all over from He played hockey. It was so weird.
2: It seems so weird. weird.
0: It
1: is.
2: You got to feed it
0: like.
1: You got like live things yeah. and it eats it. Oh, he yeah. I loved it. That oh, was so gross.
0: Uh, I just want to share this with you guys. We're going to do one last segment, but I want to share this with you. Uh, there's a new Ryan Reynolds movie he's producing, and I want to see if you guys are interested in it. It's a reimagining of Home Alone. It is called Stoned Alone, and it is about a man who, after missing the plane from his holiday ski trip, he gets high and becomes paranoid that people are breaking into his house. It's a reimagining of Home Alone. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Interested by the byline?
1: I would watch that one afternoon if I was Home Alone.
0: <laughs> I, like, I like Ryan Reynolds enough where I would take, mm-hmm. a, I'd take a flyer yeah. on it.
1: I'd,
2: I'd watch it. Uh, so there you go. I hope that the stone humor isn't too broad or lazy, because yeah. sometimes you'll fall into a trap with that. You know what mm. I mean? There's a lot of like quote unquote stoner comedies that I find hilarious, and there's a lot of them that I find insufferable. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see because I think this one will toe a line of going one way or the other. Very good.
0: All right, and uh, just to close out today, uh, I have a new segment. Uh, we haven't done a mailbag in a while. I'm thinking for maybe our 200th episode, I'll try and get people to send us in. some mailbag. We'll do an all-mailbag episode.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But for fun, I figured this new segment will, will uh, fill in the gap. It's called Questions from Other People's Mailbags. I found two questions this week from other mailbags that I read on various websites. Uh, and I'm going to use them on you guys because I thought they were interesting. Are you ready? First one, what activity has the biggest disparity between people who think they're good at it and people who are actually good at it.
2: Oh, boy. And I'm going
0: to start off with one, because I have one. I was thinking about it, right? I think it's cooking. There's a lot of people who think they are excellent cooks. Me included in this scenario, by the way. I think I'm a very good cook. But I think if you compared me to an actual good cook, I would be very low level. I think a lot of people overestimate their ability to cook and to present their food, especially on uh, social media, which Kevin and I have talked about Mm -hmm. ad nauseum in the past. But I think cooking is probably a good one. So there you go. I don't know if that gave you guys enough mm-hmm. thought. I think dancing is also another one. Although I don't think it matters if you're good at dancing or not. I think you can be a bad dancer and just be into it. So there you go. Uh, Mine... Oh, go ahead. No, no,
2: please.
1: Mine would be like parenting. I know because I'm a mom. Yes. I hear these Ooh. moms that I'm so Ooh. good at this and I do this for my kid and I do... And you're just like, stop. You know, like, they're over... Like, they're just overdoing it. Like, they're the best mom ever.
0: Do you like... You probably hate getting, like, un solicited like, I hate it. like advice like yeah. someone is that a thing parents do they do it they tell you right where? there
1: at the right mm. where you are they'll say whatever they want mm-hmm. and i don't i just kind of not there to be bothered <laughs> i just want my kid to do what he has to do mm. they'll do it oh so that's mine that's <laughs> yours
2: good Kev, okay, you got anything I, I have um numerous i'm just trying to think of one that really really stands out um but i can't i've got a couple uh, comedy, being funny and telling jokes. Yes. There's a lot of people who are, think they're funnier than they are, and you'll see a lot of people when you can very clearly tell they think they're going to do something mm-hmm. funny, and it's mm-hmm. just like, yep. please stop. <laughs> um, please, please stop. Um, I see a lot with photography.
1: Oh, that's It'll a It'll really,
2: one. really jump out. There's a lot of people that's who, nice. like, they have the basis line DSLR they can get, and they slap a filter over something and run it through HDR, and they're like, I, you know, my photography, my it just the most plain Jane standard like
1: that's a great stuff that one. you've
2: ever seen. That's a great um, one. So yeah, those are definitely two really really big ones that yeah. jump right out to me. Absolutely. Um,
0: one of the answers that was given in the real mailbag was social media, and I think that's a big one too. Like people yeah. really or, think they're good mm-hmm. at social yeah, media. Yeah, people
1: or consultants. Yeah. Everyone's a consultant now. <laughs> We're all gonna, you know, I can help you, and it's all the same. I think he made a great point too. He said there's probably only
0: like ten good Twitter profiles, like in general. That's yeah. it. You can get rid of every other one. Yeah. <laughs> like, more than ten. Uh, and the other one. Um, so the next question, and this is less of a question, more of an opinion. It was a parent calling in to talk. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. no, no. Uh, Can't say uh, parent. <laughs> uh, parent calling in to talk about at a certain age when kids get to like twelve to fourteen, it becomes a lot of fun to like roast your kids and give them a hard time. Your kids are too young for that. Uh, I, your your son is too young for that, uh, but I've noticed it is a lot of fun to to roast a kid. It's sort of like that SNL segment where it's like you diss your dog. When kids get thirteen and fourteen, it is a lot of fun to shoot them down. You gotta so, be careful.
3: Yeah. As
1: long as you grow, as long as before that you have, you know make them comfortable with themselves. Well, that's something, like that. that's, that's something that's
2: something that happens to I think a lot of young kids, and especially at that age, is like you know I re- I read an interesting article about this the other day. I don't know who it was, but they were t- they were talking about the idea that like. Adults have a tendency, when, when you're a teenager, the problems that you're facing, the things that you're dealing with, and the stuff that you're really upset about, is the biggest deal in the world to you, because you know, you're yeah, young, yeah. that's all you've gone through, and adults have a tendency to look back at childhood and teenage years with the added maturity of you know years added on and wisdom, and knowing that it's not that serious, so they're very dismissive to kids, and kids register, like, well, this is really important to me, and mom and dad are being dismissive, and they're being jerks about it, and it leads to them sort of alienating, and that's why they don't tell you important stuff as you get older, so... If you've got a kid that you you know, if your child has a healthy relationship with you and you understand it's all like in mutual ball breaking and yeah. light like teasing, it's hilarious because kids are super easy to roast because they're all dumb. Mm-hmm idiots <laughs> yes. but you got to make sure that you're not you actually doing right damage kid. to your kid and you yeah. can't just be like ah you should shake it off kid because like yeah. it's not up to you to tell your kid how to feel i'm not saying consistently roast your kid like ah, you were just saying torture yeah, yeah, you, you were <laughs> I'm saying this, right? like my
0: my niece is like addicted to her cell phone and is on her cell phone all the time right yeah it's better for me to be like Oh, what's the matter? Did did that phone grow into your hands? Right. Than it is to be like yelling and screaming like get off your cell phone. Right. It's better to engage kids in a certain way than it is to just like yell at somebody and scream at them to be like do something you want because that does not work with like modern kids. You sort of have to relate to and be like yo, seriously, like you, like you have to relate to them on a certain level and I think that like sort of giving it to them a little bit yeah. for certain kids especially with my nieces and nephews
2: more like my school kids it's important to like let them know. Yeah. So I think I've really the moral of the story here is you, is make sure you do an excellent job with your kids when they're preteens and children so that they're emotionally secure enough and feel loved enough that you can just torch them when they turn into teens. Yeah.
1: Also, Make sure you do that, Sam.
2: Build run. a good base so that you can then <laughs> torch them later. Because
0: I got torched pretty good growing So up. that they know, so did I, I, I got My either. parents and my uncles it and cousins were, they gave it to me good. See? I'll tell you a good when You ready for this one? You ready for this one? I remember I was in a car one time and it was me and my dad and my cousin John. And my cousin Johnny is real cousin, not my fake cousins I use for mailbag questions. Um... We were in the car and I was really young. I was like, like 12 to... Again, yeah, this sort of range. And they were trying to get me to swear. And I, and I didn't want to do it because I thought I was going to get in trouble. Like, so I used the words, uh, I don't give a crap. Right, that was my thing, and they roasted me about using the word. I don't give words.
2: a crap if you guys want me to swear. Yeah, don't give a crap? They're like, "Oh crap, big man!" I was like, "Oh, right." Definitely like uh, tortured me and scarred me, and that's why I'm such a foul mouth now. Imagine what happens if you're some twelve year old kid in the back of the car, and you just say like sort of quietly but firmly from the back, be like, "You know, it's really sad that you think masculinity comes from vulgar language. Is that all that you have?" And they're just Are like, what? "Wait, wait, what? What did you say?"
0: <laughs> That'd be way over my dad's head. You'd be like, eh, what's he talking about?"
2: Yeah, all right. You stop spending so much time with your mother's house. <laughs>
0: All right, that's it, folks. Uh, that thanks to Luke Perry. Uh, follow him on Twitter, mm-hmm. Polly Sci. Luke Perry, good times. Thanks for joining us on this week's interview. Uh, follow Heather, HeatherWaz1 on Twitter. Nice to see
2: you again. I missed you last week. Uh, Kev, also follow Kevin underscore. Follow my brother follow your brother. Follow my brother instead of me. My brother's great on Twitter. He's always tweeting. He's very interactive. He's very funny. He's not on the show, though. Yeah, but follow him instead of He's me. He's a good follow. He's if good If you like Twitter. me, follow my brother. He's great Twitter. If you a Twitter <laughs> follow. You can follow me, too, certainly, but I'm not tweeting, so follow my brother.
0: He's a good Twitter follow. Big underscore soul underscore inc. Uh, also, you can follow me, but I prefer you just follow the show at Uticast. Uticast.com. Uh, made for all current back episodes. SoundCloud. Instagram. Uh, Android. Uh, it, what's the other ones what is it what's the one Stitcher that's it number, number one. one on Stitcher number one on Stitcher one of the many
2: podcasts that comes out every Tuesday here in Utica, New York one of the many many podcasts mm-hmm. uh, many podcasts mm-hmm. also on Tuesdays
0: Apple. take it over the web Cyanart, <laughs> Humanoids keep it tight uh, what's the other one I forget right, there's another one I always I say oh you say a lot of I stuff I say a lot of ah. stuff oh yeah
2: Sayonara you're usually humanoids. in the rhythm it's automatic no you threw me Not off I'm all in the
0: zone that's okay uh, I didn't drink it's enough cause coffee.
2: it's early it is early. early. We're finishing lives. the show. The Woodstock show, lives. It's true. The show's wrapping up right now, a little behind the curtain. It's 3.08 PM. 08 p.m. We're normally Gosh, wrapping that's... it up at like 7.58. Yeah. Don't yeah. know what to do with myself. Maybe I'll watch. Oh, what
1: am I going to do for the rest of the day? Die Hard 2. Ooh.
0: Just run through all the Die Hard. Just find out I got a lot of errands to run for about an hour and 43 minutes. Uh, come up to the coast have a few laughs. All right, that's the end. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye.